Hey, thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Dead Air Dennis Maller, speak with artists and entertainers about their day jobs, and I am really freaking tired. Uh, I've been spending three days trying to fix the computer that I do all the work on, and um, I think I finally got it. Uh, we'll see if I can get through this intro without any screw-ups or the computer freezing, then we'll know. Uh, I hate when I can't fix something. Like, I'm pretty good with fixing things, uh, especially if it's mechanical. Uh, I'm really good with my hands, I guess. No, that's not even to say. I just like taking things apart and putting them back together. And I got used to doing that a lot as a kid and as an adult. So I've been pretty good at fixing things. And when I can't fix something, I get really mad. It's an anger issue. It's a problem that I have. And I currently should not be getting angry at, at things. Anyway, this week on the podcast is my friend Jordan Hadron Seavey. He's a comedian from Maine who now lives here in Boston. Very funny guy. Clearly, comic in residence at the comedy studio. That only means something to us here in Boston. Uh, it's a Boston comedy club, and what they do is every year they pick 12 comedians and they let feature them through every show through an entire month. Each comedian gets their own month. And Jordan was featured uh, April, I think, of last year. So, kind of a big honor. Mostly among us, but it's also a lot of work. But anyway, funny guy. Him and I were just hanging out Friday night. He was on a show that I popped in to see a uh, friend of mine from Boston who now lives in New York was on the show. Uh, So I went to see him and hang out with him, talk to him, and hopefully he'll be on the podcast soon because he has some interesting jobs. But Jordan and I were hanging out after the show and a woman came up to compliment him. Uh, She said, she came up and was like, I haven't laughed that hard in a while. You're very funny, blah, blah, blah. but it wasn't so much that she came up to compliment him as it seemed like she came up to tell me how much she was not going to compliment me, if that makes any sense. I don't know. Like, she literally walked up, looked right at me, and was like, I'm not here to talk to you. I want to talk, tell him how funny he is. I was like, I'm not stopping you. I don't know if she thought I was his entourage or she just looked and was like, I'm going to ruin that man's day and make that other guy his day spectacular. I don't know why somebody would do that. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe I'm just projecting because I have... You know, weird things in my head that tell me people are telling her around to just not uh, ha- to like me. Anyway, I'm glad I had Jordan on the show. Uh, his day job currently right now is he's a delivery guy for a bakery. Uh, and he'll talk a lot about driving around in Boston, which is starting to become a theme. Most of the guests that come on the show kind of talk about how bad it is to drive around in Boston. Uh, I don't know that firsthand because I take the bus and the subways. I take mass transit because I don't own a car anymore. Uh, so I don't know how bad it is to drive around Boston. I did drive here. When did I drive? I drove through Boston the day I moved here. That was it. In a U-Haul truck trying to figure anything out. So I don't know if the roads were terrible or I was just freaked out. I'm going to go with freaked out before I say that the roads were terrible. But uh, this is, again, I'm glad I had him on because I found out things about Jordan I never would have known probably, had I not had him on the show. Example, he was a professional skier for a little while, which, who talks about being a professional skier? Like, why would I even have the subject of skiing come up and talk to somebody about skiing? I don't ski. Um, I think I tell one good story about the one time I went, or one of the two times I went snowboarding in this. Um, If I don't, I'll wrap it up. No, I totally told the story. Uh, Basically what it was, I was snowboarding, I took my my board off, and it just went whoosh right down the hill. It was very embarrassing, because I had to go chase after it. But he was a professional skier. He's a very funny comedian. He grew up on a farm, which 
is now kind of in his act. He's starting to talk about, it, and this is something I'm noticing with some of the guests is some of the topics we talk about um, kind of are now becoming bits in their act. I don't know if that's on purpose, accident, or or if there was like, hey, I'm already kind of working on this. Let me tell this to Dennis, workshop it here. Um, but it's nice to see that because I know all the appropriate places to laugh when they tell me something I already know. Please enjoy this episode of the podcast, my friend, delivery guy, skier, farmer, comedian, Jordan Hayden CV. Today? Uh, I didn't. I worked yesterday. Okay. Do you work usually on the weekends, or is it a regular change schedule? No. Uh, yesterday was different because I took Monday off. I went to. Uh, I was in Burlington last Monday, so I had a guy switch with me, and uh, I worked for him Saturday. Do you do you usually just work Monday to Friday? Yeah. Now. Oh, that's super convenient. Uh, when I first moved down here, I was uh, all over the place with the schedule because I was just like working behind the counter and delivering a little bit. Um. But then I got yeah I got, ended up getting full time driving and Monday through Friday which is really nice. Oh, that's super easy. Um, by the way, how did the before I even before I forget to ask how did the the uh, music show go on Friday? That oh, be? Uh, it was fun. It was uh, not a lot of people, maybe like ten people in the audience, but it was a good time. Uh, what do you expect from eleven o'clock on a Friday? Yeah, exactly. At IB, yeah, like they do pretty well for eight eight and ten o'clock. And anything after that, it's yeah. it's pushing it. But it was a ton of fun though. There's not a lot of light, light, late night things that go on here in Boston. Um, no, for some reason, like, it's funny when they used to do like grandmas and stuff, though, that would go until like one in the morning and be packed and stuff. But nothing starts late that a lot of people will go to. And especially that was on a Saturday night, too. You'd think Saturday night there would be like a good 11 o'clock show to go to. Yeah, uh, especially with stuff open till two, like in Maine stuff was only open till one. So like doing something at 11 is kind of crunch time. But what I've come to determine here living in Boston is that there's not a lot of late night anything. Yeah. Even the few places that do go till two in the morning aren't nobody really stays out to them because you got the tea that even though with the late night service on the weekends, it still shuts down. Yeah. Well, it's also it's like one forty eight or something. Maybe like so to stay out till two, you're like. I'm pushing it as far as just barely catching that last yeah, train. Yeah, and I mean, Uber's catching on and, and Lyft and those services uh, as opposed to cabs, but it's still, you know, there's still a lot of people who don't, like, I'm adamant against using them, but that's my personal opinion. Um, I but, do every once in a while, but I feel like, especially within, when it's bike season, Yeah, I feel like, for the most part, everything is close enough that you I can bike it. Oh, yeah. Farthest yeah. I, I haven't gone or, like, I'll take my bike on the T is uh, Quincy. Oh yeah, yeah. That's 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 a Quincy is a trek just because yeah. it's the red line. Yeah, and anything can happen on the red line, and it's, it's <laughs> more reliable about... than than services I'm used to in Baltimore. But it's you know, but Baltimore say, service you... runs all night for the most part. Not everything, but for the most part, things run late. Oh There's yeah. buses that practically run all night because like their last one will go out like two, three in the morning, but then it starts service again at five a.m. So <laughs> certain buses are practically running 24 hours Yeah, when they're running. <laughs> I'm surprised, like, I guess it's because our trains are so old. They should just have, like, trains should be automated. And then you keep people, you know, security or whatever on them or somebody to, like, if it breaks down in the in-between stations to handle it. But that job can also be, like, for the overnight shift, there's a little cot in there. And we're like, we just pay you to come and sleep in here. And an alarm will go off if you need to get up and do anything. I'm on. I think I got to go talk to the MBTA. 
That's your, that's your new, yeah. that's going to be your new daytime job is working for the, figuring things out for the MBTA. Uh, I don't know. It's just, I think everyone in this town has just been trained to not stay out late. So even if there are things that do go late, nobody stays for them. Yeah. Um, so when you're talking about, uh, oh, we got a show starting at 11 o'clock, I'm already three hours deep into this bar. Not going to go out, you know, you know, even like, I think the night, the, uh, when the laugh does the 10 o'clock show, it's kind of pushing it. Yeah. Especially I did like two weekends ago, 11 o'clock show. It was a nine and 11 yeah. and it didn't um, get started till um, like 1115 for, was, uh, Fitzsimmons. Fitzsimmons. Yeah. I was going to say the Jonathan Katz show, but Jonathan Katz was just on it. Yeah. He, he was just doing a, a, a guest spot. Yeah. He was hilarious on it. Oh yeah. Jonathan Katz is amazing. Like, uh, for, as soon as I saw his name announced, I was like, Oh, I, w- I hope he hey, shows hey, up hey. in squiggle vision. <laughs> but like, have you, uh, how long, how long have you been now in Boston from Maine? Uh, since December, December. Down the beginning of December. So almost a year. Yeah. So almost a year. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when I met you, it was cold out. I'm trying to. Yeah, probably together. Yeah. Uh, but you were coming down here all the time anyway. So you're. Yeah. For like two years, I was, I was driving back and forth. It was more, more or less now just a convenience. Very much convenience. Yeah. Yeah. How long were you doing comedy up in Maine? Uh, I guess about three years. I've been doing a little over four years now. So like. Uh, a little over three years in Maine, and then moved down here almost a year ago. When you uh, started doing it, was that the the long term objective was to eventually move down here? Uh, no, I didn't know where I was going to go after. I knew I was going to eventually have to move out of Portland and stuff, but yeah. I wasn't sure where. And then after coming down here a bunch and kind of getting like little opportunities and stuff, I was like, yeah, that's a, that's enough. I can go there for another couple of years and and build and get like little more opportunities and stuff. And my brother lives in L.A., and I went and visited him a couple times, and I was like, I don't want to come here yet and just, like, struggle in a big city where, like, just shitty things can happen to you all the time, especially if you don't have money and stuff. Yeah. And work shitty jobs. Like, you just get swallowed up by cities like that. And I was like, I'll wait till I'm, like, ready to go to one of those spots. Come here where it's, I can still like hitchhike home if I need to. If yeah. things ever went really south, I'd be like, I can. It's a day's walk. I can get back to Maine. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it's a day's walk walking to Portland, Maine. Oy. I don't even like walking to and from the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, twenty six dollars can get me back to start over again. Twenty six dollar bus ride. Mm-hmm. Do you take that twenty six dollars? Put it in a special little envelope, like in case glass of emergency, envelope. Glass yep. envelope. <laughs> in case of emergency. Break glass to get to Portland. I, I just went and bought a bus ticket, an anytime bus ticket. <laughs> Did you really? No. <laughs> oh, I didn't know if they made such a thing. I feel I, like there I'm should sure be an do. open-ended bus ticket. Yeah. But, um, so it was, is it, did you move to Boston just because it was more, it was the closest to Portland or do you think you probably should have made the move to New York or... Oh, no. No, no. I moved here for comedy and to just do more of it. Yeah. The The thing about being in Portland uh, is the amount you can even do it is so limited. Yeah. Uh, there are, like, some great spots there and stuff, but you can only get – if you're not leaving Portland, you can only get maybe three or four sets a week. And then down here, it's like you can pretty much do it every night. And oh, you can easily get nights, three or four a night. Yeah, a lot of nights where you can double up or triple up or something. I shouldn't say easily. It's th- I'd say there's like three is pushing it. Four is nearly impossible yeah. without leaving the area of Boston. There's like I think Baglio has done or uh, oh Michael Bryan I think has done like five open mics in one night. Oh, I thought you were gonna say five open mics. Yeah, ever. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh no yeah there's like two nights where you can do like two or three pretty easy yeah um wednesdays is not hard to do too yeah thursdays and eh, well there's nothing else on tuesdays sundays now i don't know Thursday, I I always do two on Thursday. Yeah, well, you got um, do the hideout and hideout and, and then, Wonder Bar and Wonder Bar, and then you, if Jamaica Plain, the oh, right yeah. theater at the last Thursday of the month. You yeah, do it there. I just did that for the first time, not the open mic, but the uh, the you know book show or whatever last week. Yeah, it how was, was really it? Fun. It was a good time. Yeah, no, they're they got a nice little space. Um, they're in Jamaica Plain. People are starting to come to that place to come there. Yeah, like neighborhood people, so that's good. Um, whenever you're a small establishment like that, you really need yeah to have the support of the local people. Yeah, it's a destination. You know, Jamaica Plain is a destination place. People will go to Jamaica Plain for things, but they you can't rely on them, especially yeah, like totally. with winter coming up. Yeah, the only people who are going to be populating that place is somebody who's dragged there by their friends for comedy, or somebody who lives two blocks away. Yeah, and, and there is all that walk. like apartments and housing right by. They just need to like hardcore flyer all that. That's like uh, in New York. Where you have uh, like a little bodega or like grocery store in the bottom of a building, and it's like they are mainly funded by everybody that lives in that building. Oh yeah, because you have like you know 140 tenants above you, and you're like, well, that times two people. There we go. If they all just come by one thing, you know, twice a week, that'll uh, get us through. Yeah. Well, the thing about New York is what I love is the bodegas is that's their grocery stores. You get at, you get good price things. Oh yeah. And and you can do all your grocery shopping at them because they don't have places you know there's not enough room to put up supermarkets yeah and whatnot but yeah places like that will all will have fresh produce and stuff like that it's not like a 7-eleven store yeah. here yeah like a 7-eleven or or wawa or whatever where you're buying pre-made or frozen things that yeah. are twice the price so that's that's cool i've only been to new york once i stayed a weekend god fucking 14 years ago uh 13 years ago now uh, I stayed, uh, there was a band I was friends with who were up there and I went and just hung out with them mm-hmm. for the weekend. And we went to one of their shows that was in a library for whatever reason. Nice. Uh, I it was just a band I knew I went up for the weekend for them, but it was fun. Yeah. I, I enjoy New York. I was kind of adamant against it until I went there for the weekend and I was like, oh, this is nice. No, it's, it's not bad. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's just more people. That's I think growing up like on a farm and stuff, I'm always really sensitive to like even more condensed and more people and stuff. That's one thing I find about Boston living down here that is uh, like just dealing. That's the biggest thing is just dealing with all of the people. Yeah. Like, well, I grew up in an urban environment, so I'm very comfortable in it. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like growing up on the farm with like I've gone camping and backpacking and I enjoy that. But in the woods, there's noise. Still, there's always noise in the woods. Oh yeah, on but a it's, farm, it's got to be just. Well, I mean, quiet. It's a, a, f- a farm in the middle of the woods. I, oh, okay. I I think of it as you hear noise and stuff, but it's completely different noise. It's all like, you know, creatures and wind and stuff like out in you know trees. That I've had friends who have grown up in the city come up there. And they're like, uh, they are like, it's so quiet here. And I'm like, I don't know. I hear a lot of stuff. You're just like, you don't hear the things that you're used to hearing. So it feels quiet. Was it a working farm or did you? Uh, We like sold some stuff and my dad worked too. But then also it started out as an Angora rabbit farm and my mom and that she would spin yarn from they would uh, use their fur to make yarn she'd sell yeah. the yarn and then we had chickens we'd sell the eggs and we'd slaughter them and sell the meat and then we ended up 
becoming uh, got rid of the rabbits and got sheep and goats. And you grew up on a sheep and goat farm. Well, and it keeps going. And then uh, they, uh, we would, you know, spin yarn out of that. You'd have to shave them and stuff. And then we'd also bring them to the, you breed sheep. And then every, like, summer they have uh, lambs. Baby but, sheep. Yeah, lambs. But you don't keep the uh, male ones because you, you can only have one male because otherwise they fight and stuff. Um, so th- we'd have the lambs over the summer. And then when it came fall, you'd take the boy ones and you'd get them slaughtered. And we'd sell that meat and kind of like live off that for the uh winter and then the same thing with chickens and turkeys and stuff hmm. and I then know. now uh horses now they they got rid of those now it's more just a more for pleasure farm except they still have chickens that they sell the eggs but my mom just rides horses and so they have like three horses i think do they like do they offer horse rides to other people is that a, no. a force of income they're just like we have horses no they, they don't need the income now now it's just for fun now they okay my dad, my dad's donut man. He got into the donut business, and he's a Dunkin' Donuts franchisee. Oh, uh, okay, <laughs> right. But he didn't. He used to work in like uh, what is it called? Fundraising for a hospital when I was growing up, and before that, he was a sound man and stuff. So was the farm just like a secondary income thing? Just we live on a farm. We'll do farming things and have real jobs as well. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Well, like um, I don't know. My mom had uh, some like. One full-time job for a little while while we had the farm going and stuff. I think it was my dad grew up right in that. I mean, we lived next to my grandfather on one side and my uh, my uncle on the other side. And when he was a kid, his grandfather had a farm there. Um, and then my mom always wanted a farm. And then when they met, moved in together, they moved like down near Portland and they had like a little farm. It was like a little like suburb but backyard mate they had a, you know like 10 rabbits or something and something else and she started spinning they were all they're a weird bunch because they they always liked that stuff and like uh you know doing outdoors things and they were always part of a co-op and stuff growing up like that's where we got all our food from and it was all natural food and stuff but they're also pretty hardcore republicans and so it like never it was always like a weird mix of the like we would have like really hippie friends of theirs that we would go see and hang out or we like take weekend trips to vermont and we're like we're gonna go see these people that live in a teepee out here but then they like voted for bush three times (laughs) for all three bushes (laughs) all three bushes all three times uh i i think that's not too weird yeah granted when you're when you get when you start thinking about the natural organic we grow Like, or when you think about the Brook- people who live in Brooklyn that have a chicken and sell eggs, yeah, you think that they're very liberal hippies. But I, most of farming's middle of America. That's very Republican. Yeah, that's oh yeah, that's what no. this country was for the longest time. Was just you know that's what the capitalist idea is: is that you you work hard, work hard to have some kind of accomplishment in the future. Yeah, totally. Um, but just even compared to like I mean, a lot of the people I grew up around were. We're like that where you're talking about. No, no, no. Uh, we're yeah. like in Harrison and stuff. It's a lot of, you know, hicks and rednecks and stuff. And whether they have farms or they're mechanics, but they all like snowmobile in the winter. And they're all like, you know, kind of that very conservative type. Um, but my parents, I feel like we're even different from them because like we were homeschooled and stuff and had like a macrobiotic diet. And you're homeschooled uh, for three years. Yeah. That's always weird when you meet someone who's homeschooled because you feel like when you when you hear somebody that's homeschooled, you think of some weird, creepy kid that has no social skills, <laughs> uh, not somebody who's a pretty good comedian. 
Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Well, I went because uh, I'm really dyslexic. And so, like, when I was first getting into schooling, it was like, they were like, he he's an idiot. We can't, you know, what's wrong with him? And my parents <laughs> were like, we'll show you. We'll take him out of school and teach him. And then after three years, they're like, oh, we, we broke it. We don't, we can't do it either. <laughs> <laughs> and they put me back in school. Did no one, and, did they not figure out you were dyslexic? Was it just like, ah, he's just stupid. No, they did. They knew I was dyslexic, but it was just like when they're just kind of figuring out and trying to like, let's create a program about how to teach dy- dyslexic people. And so there was a lot of like, um, you know what is it called? Try and fail. What's that called? Uh, uh the um, yeah, uh, there is a term for trying and failing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> guess and check. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, sink or swim. Yeah, there was a lot of like we're gonna try the phonics program with you, and then after a year, they're like some new study would come out and be like phonics program doesn't work at all, and they're like okay, never mind all that stuff you learned. Now we're gonna try this, and uh, but then I felt like. There were some things that were really fun about being homeschooled, and I learned a lot. And that's where I really started skiing all the time. Um, and that because it was like second grade to like fourth grade, maybe fifth grade or something. Uh, and during the winters, I would do like schoolwork in the morning or, you know, after four o'clock after the sun went down. And I would just go ski all day, and I would do that for the whole winter. So you'd go skiing in the day and then come home and do all your schoolwork school at night. And stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then even when I went back to school, I, I kept skiing a ton. I had skied like a little bit or like done the school program skiing before that, but, uh, that's where I like really fell in love with it. And then did that in high school too. I pretty much like my last couple of years of high school, I missed a lot of school to compete in skiing and stuff. Is that for the school or? No, it was, uh, that was, I did freestyle and they didn't have freestyle. Like they had ski racing in my school, but they didn't offer freestyle. So I just did it with this What's other the difference between freestyle and racing. Uh, racing is like speed suits, like, uh, just no poles. Know. No, you use poles, but it's like, uh, going around gates. Like they make a, you know, course of turns down the hill and it's how fast you can get down that. Okay. Freestyle. I started out doing moguls, which is, uh, like, you remember when Johnny Mosley won the gold in 98, I think Nagano. Um, moguls. It's like, uh, jumps and then a jump in the middle and then more bumps and then another jump and then bumps and a finish. And so it's like, you do tricks on the jumps. Also your turns are scored, like how well you ski through the bumps and then your time also, and they do all three. But then I went from that into free ride skiing, which is uh, just like snowboarding, but on skis, like doing parks and half pipe and stuff like that. Okay. So it's freestyle is more trick skiing, jumps yeah. and trick skiing. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. That makes sense. Um, they, so do schools up? Because uh, skiing's not big in where I'm from. Yeah. You can go skiing. Yeah. At places. No. It's a couple hour drive. Where I grew up, uh, every, uh, once a year, there would be like big trips of all black people from Baltimore that would come up for like two weeks in February. Nah. And the whole entire mountain would just be, and they like all had buses that were all from Baltimore. And they're, I, I always talked to a bunch of them and stuff. And for some reason, it was a big thing of just like all these black communities being like, we go skiing every February and it's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's definitely places to go skiing between here and Maine. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I don't know why they would take them all the way to Maine. I guess it's just you know, a little bit better. But, and I think well, the here, mountain offered some sort of like, they're like it was a, you know, maybe a church program or something. Yeah. 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 Well, it's definitely, if it's a bus full of black people, it's probably <laughs> a church program. But no, I mean, but for like any of the ski places in Maryland and Pennsylvania, it's a lot of artificial snow. 
Oh yeah. I mean, they get a little bit of, of real snow, but for the most part, just to, to, to make it, it's all artificial snow, which is not bad. I don't think um, I noticed the difference. The f- I've only gone snowboarding twice. Yeah. So no, it, in, uh, in Maine, it is to start the season. Yeah. They don't really have enough fallen snow to, to like cover the trails that, or if they just relied on falling snow, it would be like January when they opened, but they all open in, um, November pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, does it matter that that, what is yeah, it? just a screensaver. Oh. Um, I assume it, I'm just going to assume it's still running. <laughs> uh, but they all open in November and it's all from blown snow. So for like the first like six weeks of the season, it's all on artificial snow. And the only thing is it's icier. It gets icier cause it's a lot more, uh, I can get into the science of snowmaking. I know all about it's, I know nothing. Please tell me. Uh, it's has a lot higher water content than fallen snow. And because of that, it packs down and it becomes ice faster where fallen snow is a lot more airy and it doesn't, and it packs, but it like doesn't pack as compact. And especially when it's like negative 10 up there. Uh, so it, it stays just, more snowy than icy. Exactly. Like if you go out West, there's some places you know, parts of the year when they get really good snow that you never hit ice at all. And like, you're turning in the same spot and digging it up and digging it up all day. And you'll never hit ice where you know, up in Maine, you'll like do one turn and scrape away any of the fresh snow. And then it's just like ice underneath. And that's because of the snow machines. Uh, so essentially that's all it's doing is just blowing out shaved ice more or less. right? No, it's water and uh, pressured air and it shoots the water up into the air and it has to be cold enough. And then the water freezes before it comes down and comes down as snow, but it it's coming down, you know, it's like compared to water that's way up in the sky and then freezes and falls. It just like has more time to like take the moisture out of it. And it's just kind of that very barely water, you know, I literally thought they were giant snow cone machines. No, no. It's just <laughs> they have two pipes that run up the hill, you know, usually under each of the uh, wherever the lift line is, and it's pressured air and water. Hmm. Did you work for a ski lodge? Is that how you know this, or just because you ski a lot? Just growing up. I mean, I worked at – yeah, I worked – I never worked snowmaking. Those guys are crazy. Snowmaker because they do it all at night, and you are but in the, the dark – um, well, and cause it's sucks skiing with snow guns going. Um, so they try to, except for like the very, um, you know, beginning of the season when they're just like, we just need to get as much snow out there as they can. They'll have them run in during the day and you just get covered in wet and, you know, snow and stuff as you're skiing through it. Uh, but yeah, they're just spraying you with air and water. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, prob- it's probably a better idea to do it when no one's around. Yeah. But there are a bunch of crazy guys that work overnight just snowmobiling and running up and down the mountain. And they used to, uh, I guess maybe they try and stop them now, but guys would just have a headlamp on, sit on a shovel, and just like fly down <laughs> ski hills. That sounds like fun, yeah. actually. Um, but so I worked, I started uh, I started out, uh, first job at Ski Hill was teaching skiing to little kids when I was like, 13 pizza french fry pizza french fry um and then i went to rentals ski rentals at uh another mountain bigger mountain at sunday river and then from there i got sponsored by the mountain and i got a free pass anyway so i didn't have to work there anymore so i just would go and ski but well when you're sponsored by them what 
Does that mean just for a competition? Yeah, like I put Sunday River's name on my helmet and stuff like that and would go when I went out to like Colorado or whatever. It's just you're advertising for them in exchange. They they gave me some like free lift tickets to places when I was in Colorado and you get a season's pass from the mountain for free. Like how do you get into competition? Just sign up. Oh, is it? Okay. There's not like an audition process or no, no. You know, it's, a qualifying it's even, process. It's there's qualifying process. So I did like the U.S. Open and the X Games qualifiers were the biggest ones I ever did. And those you literally there's limited spots, but you literally just when registration opens, you sign up and it costs like a hundred or two hundred bucks or something to enter, and uh, then you just fly out there and do it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I wrestled uh, like the closest sport to I did that I cared about. Um, that could be considered an Olympic sport was wrestling in high school. Yeah. Which there was, there was club wrestling, which I didn't start doing until after high school. Like I would do a summer program once or twice. Yeah. Just try and stay in shape and wrestle and whatnot. Um, and I knew a guy who from age six all the way to through Penn state into his early twenties was competing in wrestling events outside of it. I don't know, like, I know a little bit on how to get into those things. Like, it's obviously something you have to find. I mean, this was the 90s, so it was difficult to find this. I'm sure if I Googled right now ski competitions, I can get a thousand registrations, but. Yeah, well, now, when I was starting doing uh, free ride skiing, it was like, it had only been going on for maybe five years, if that, that like snowboarding had been happening in snowboard competitions, but it only been like a few years that skiers had started going in and hitting those same jumps and started skiing half pipe and stuff. Now it's in the Olympics. Yeah. Um, Well, I think, uh, well, I mean, was competitive skiing has been around for a long time. Yeah. Granted, freestyle is different, but freestyle like moguls has been around since the seventies. And that's where free ride came from was mogul skiers who are already jumping and stuff, just going into the snowboard parks and hitting snowboard jumps. Um, but they, uh, moguls has been around since the seventies. And, uh, then in maybe like 95, 96 guys started hitting, you know, snowboard stuff. Yeah. It's basically around when the X games started. Right. They, uh, I think maybe the first couple years there was no skiing in the X games. And then, uh, and then did the X games just start with snowboard? Like I know the summer ones was all inline skates and skateboard and stuff. Yeah. Cause I watched it and cared about things. I had friends. Yeah. You know, in the nineties, that was when skateboarding was. Oh Yeah starting the trail off but it was still pop like it was trailing off in in to everyone else but that's when it just started picking up competitively to everyone else yeah to the rest of the world like late 90s is pretty much it was kind of the end of the skateboard era as just being punk kids running around yeah that's when it became more legitimate it was the yeah, mid to totally. late 90s well because that's when you got like tony hawk and andy mcdonald like bucky lasik yeah but even him he's like he's a little more of that like punk look and stuff yeah. but the like tony hawks were just like oh they're just regular joes oh, yeah, who are yeah, out yeah. there skateboard like opposed to the alternative skateboarder um yeah but, the dogtown boys who look yeah. like they'll hit you with a skateboard as much <laughs> as they'll do a trick with exactly. it exactly um but uh yeah skiing it was uh it was around then um and so when when you would go to like uh the u.s open you would have there would be like it's like a three or four day event and uh, they're qualifying rounds. So you do qualifications one day. And if you get the top two in your, you know, you're grouped up in groups of 10. And so if you're the top 
two people in year 10, you move on to the semifinals. Semifinals are the next day, and then finals are that day too. So they'll go semifinal round and then take 10 overall, and they'll go into the finals. And so, but guys will who are like established, well known pros that are in all the movies and stuff, they'll get like guests seated or like invited to automatically go to the semifinals and yeah. stuff so they won't have to do they've that already pretty round. much proven themselves yeah right and uh they're and also they're the name that's going to draw people to the event and the event is sponsored by the same companies that sponsor them and stuff like oakley's like we're not going to sponsor the x games if our top riders not in it already yeah um so you are kind of like it is a little bit of uh you know, like a like a Boston Comedy Festival or something where it's like you can just sign up or like, you know, submit or whatever. And a lot of people will get in. But realistically, even they know, like, we're looking at about 20 people here. Like yeah. and then somebody we in the way of like if nobody's ever heard of you, it's kind of tough to get through. You almost have to be like way better than the next best person opposed to as good as the next best person because they're like we we're gonna watch that guy we know who he is and stuff but you have to like really impress people coming through if they've never heard of you before yeah i mean that makes sense that you know if you continue to keep qualifying things people are going to notice your yeah totally reckon, remember you who you are like uh for wrestling for me um my junior year in high school i came in uh like my sophomore year was a good year i literally went uh all but uh, I I only lost one match in regular season. Then when we went to the county tournament, I uh, placed fourth. I should have placed first, but I screwed up. Anyway, got in your own head, in my own head. Uh, so when I came in my junior year for um, varsity, no one knew who I was. Had not wrestled in any varsity tournaments. Nobody knew who I was. I was you know because occasionally even if you're JV, they'll like if you're really good, they'll pull you up and let you compete if there's open slots in a in a because there's like three or four. Um, uh, competitions throughout the school year besides just each school against each other yeah. throughout the season. Um, and there's just open open ones at other schools that if your coach is like, hey, I want you, we got, there's there's enough competition. Why don't you try to do this thing? You know, why don't you do the competition with the varsity team? Because it's, it's all individual, basically. Yeah. Um, I didn't do any of those until junior year. And I came in literally um, not even seated. Like I had to wrestle two matches just to get into the bracket. Yeah, totally. So I wrestled my two matches against other people trying to get a bracket, won those. So now I'm 16th seed, last seed against the number one seed, first match, boom, take him out in 30 seconds. And place erupts. They're like, what happened? And I, I, a couple guys had asked who I was because they were like, all right, who's this guy that just knocked off the number one seed for this competition? And nothing ever came of it. Might have, like, I know there was people looking towards me. Mm-hmm. Nothing official scouting. Cause like, oh, he's a junior. Oh, he goes to this school. All right, I'll keep an eye out, see what happens on that. Not official scouting. Yeah. Just like, I, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. senior, I got hurt early just, in the season. And you just saw some guys in the stand write down on a clipboard and like to whisper to each other. And then I got right. Out. Yeah. A couple of people <laughs> asked my coach about, oh, all right, who's that guy? Yeah. Um, or whatnot. Um, but my, I, it probably would have followed through if I didn't get hurt early in the se- my senior year. Yeah. Because I know scouting would have become a much more uh, prominent if I started wrestling in my senior year. But well, I was yeah. out for most of the season with yeah. a bum shoulder. So I can understand how that uh, competition is and, 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 you know, getting noticed because you keep going to things. And Yes. and But also with uh, skiing, and which is similar to comedy, is it is – 
somewhat objective. Like, there is a difference between a guy doing, you know, a 360 and doing, like, a, a double cork 12 or something. Like, there, you can definitely be way better than the other person. But the top 10 people are doing almost the same difficulty. Routines. A different routine. Like, they, you know, you mix it up. But difficulty-wise, like... They're doing the biggest things off all the jumps and the biggest things off all the rails. They're just doing different combinations of the biggest things on all those. And it is judged in the way of, like, who do we think looked cooler doing it? Yeah. Like, you know, one guy does a switch 1260 off one jump, and then the other guy does, like, a double cork 1080 off it. Like, that. both of those are just as hard. It's just which person made which one look cooler. Yeah, which looked more natural, more smoother, and just... Yeah. But it was basically landed it better or whatever. So, yeah. But in that way, it is like a little objective, like like comedy where it's like, you know, these five guys are all equally hilarious and on any given night can see any of them kill. But it's like, who tonight did we think like really, you know, got this crowd going and stuff? Yeah. I thought you were going to throw up there for a second. <laughs> uh, it a huge burp. And oh, I, was, okay. I had to move myself because I was like, don't burp in the mic. That is 15 years, 16 years on radio. You know better than burping. You, you, need, a, you need a cough button. Cough button. Yeah. Uh, well, I got to switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so when did you stop competitive skiing? Uh, when I blew my knee out. Same thing. Uh, I, got, I, got, why? Uh, okay. I got injured. Yeah. I moved out to Colorado the year after high school and, and destroyed my knee that winter and then came back here and surgery and stuff like that and then decided to go or i might have put it off for another year yeah i came back yeah, we're, here we're getting at that age where it's like wait i know i did something for like a year two yeah, years no, i don't know it's all blur no i uh because in order to get back onto my parents insurance because of how laws worked pre uh barack hussein obamacare um you had to be if you were in college, you could still be on your parents' insurance. Yeah, and I was not. I had deferred from college for a year, moved out to Colorado, blew my knee out, didn't have insurance. Uh, called the school, enrolled for the next coming fall semester, and then called the insurance. And in, so, in a week's time, I signed back up for school, got back on my parents' insurance, then went and got my knee checked out. And they're like, "Yeah, you need." you know, ACL replaced and meniscus you know, sewed back up and everything. Uh, and then when they finally did like a scope of it and went in and looked, I had uh, um, taken a bunch of uh, cartilage off the bottom of my femur. So it was like just a big chunk of cartilage ripped off and little pieces of cartilage just floating all through my knee too that they had to like Ugh, gross. fish out. Um, and then was back in May. I will have to say, because I just pictured them pulling the cartilage out of you. Reason being is a buddy of mine who um, does MMA fighting. Yeah, he got caught, he used to wrestle in high school. Started MMA, cauliflower ear, just had all that drained and pulled out, and he oh. was posting pictures of it. Oh. Just all so that's literally what I'm picturing: just yellow, oh. bloody things floating around your knee. Ugh. No, I don't. Th I think else. it was. I think it's like white. I think it's very yeah, white. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's an off-white jelly. Yeah. yeah. But throw enough blood on it, it's gonna look. Oh yeah, they actually they did uh, was it orthoscopic, so it was just a little slit on this side and a little slit on this side, and then they put a camera in one side and like all the little tools through like a tube thing in this side and do it all like that. So then that's they, when they just started doing it. When you used to have to have like your ACL replaced, they would do a big gash right down the front of your leg. Yeah, just pull the whole thing open. It would take forever to heal. But this, I mean, it was still six weeks. I was on crutches, but. Um, 
way better than that. That would be like six months of like before it was totally healed back. Yeah, because they're they're ripping open flesh, cracking bones to yeah. get into there, pulling things apart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, surgery's come a long way in the past twenty years. Um, but so I I enrolled insurance and in school, moved back here. Decided not to go to school once all my physical therapy and stuff was taken care of. Well, yeah, because you're still going to be covered at the end of that semester or the yeah, beginning of the next I didn't semester. Even, I didn't even go. I, I yeah. moved to Portland that summer. So that was in like February or March. I moved back here, got insurance, was on crutches, and then that summer moved to Portland because I was living with my parents there. That was bad, too, because I was like 19, had already moved out, and then had to move back in with my parents. Did you, wait, did you enroll in school in in Colorado? No, here in Maine. I okay, so you came back to Maine yeah. just to go to school and get your new fixed. right. Okay, um, and because I couldn't work and didn't have any money to like pay rent out there, and my parents were like, "We're not just going to send you money for like if you can't work, then you just got to come back and live with us." And I was like, "All right, yeah, it makes sense." Um, and then uh, that just went bad, and they kicked me out several times because I was like, "I, I don't live here anymore. I'm an adult now." <laughs> like, <laughs> you're just nineteen, twenty year old. Yeah, that. exactly. Like I've that. lived on my own um, <laughs> for a year. <laughs> not quite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, moved to Portland. Decided not to go to school another year, and then started school um, at the year after that. So, like, took two years off between high school and when I started college. When do you? What were you going to college for? Uh, what were you I, taking? Initially, just nothing. I was just like, just working and living in Portland, doing drugs and stuff that first year. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't. I gotta at least get on the path to something. So I started going to the at the community college, and I was like, I'll do two years of all of my basic classes, and then transferred to University of Southern Maine. Did that. When I got there, I did my first play. And then I was like, boom, theater. That's what I want to do. Okay. And started doing it. No, you that. keep saying you moved to Portland. Were your parents, are your parents not in Portland, Maine? They're about an hour north of Portland. Oh, I didn't know that. I just assume you grew up in Portland. No, no, no. I okay. grew up in the woods. Yeah, the, north the most north I've been so far has been Derry, New Hampshire. So I don't know anything oh, okay. past, yeah. past that yet. I mean, Derry's definitely south of it, but I don't know where that would be in relation to Maine. Uh, it's like, uh, oh, it's not even close. It's Derry is no, uh, I mean, like Nashua. Well, it's right next to Nashua. Yeah, but because uh, they kind of share a border all the way down. So like New yeah. Hampshire's over here and Maine's over here. So like North Conway um, was 20 minutes from us because we were right along that Maine, New Hampshire border. But like, I think Derry's like about where like York, Maine is or something. It's not not that far north. No, York is north of. Uh, you have to take the uh, Sarah Long Bridge to get to York. You have to go th- all the way through New Hampshire into Maine to get to York. But that's a different. Isn't it? York is on the coast, isn't it? Yeah, that's a different part of New Hampshire because New Hampshire does that little swing around the bottom yeah, yeah, yeah. of Maine. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, uh, the basically my only experience with New Hampshire from looking at the map at work is Portsmouth and Manchester and everything south of that. Yeah, so that's. To me, that's all New Hampshire is. Yeah. <laughs> anything west of Manchester doesn't exist. Oh, yeah. yeah. Much like how to Boston, anything west of, of Worcester doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the wasteland. Um, I actually just went up through all, all – I went up to Burlington last weekend. Yeah. And uh, it was all – we go all the way up through that western part of New Hampshire and then into Vermont and stuff. It's nice. It's a nice drive. You should go see it sometime. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not against it. <laughs> what do you got against fucking New Hampshire, man? <laughs> I actually, I'm a proponent to, to New Hampshire. Everyone else seems to hate well, New Hampshire. Let, no, let's not get crazy. It's <laughs> not. <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know what New Hampshire people are like. 
I hear they're very rednecky. Yeah. And people's like, oh, it's really bad up there. A lot of drug problems. Like, bro, Baltimore. Don't don't compete. Yeah. But it's a different kind of, I don't know. Yeah, growing up right on the border there, it was, I'd always felt weird to me of like, you just, whether or not you knew you went into New Hampshire, like you could tell you went into New Hampshire. Like the people are just a little different. They look at you and they stare. I don't know. It was always weird. I like Maine better. Well, I mean, from what I can tell, the only time I have to deal with New Hampshire people is the one or few times, two or three times I've gone up for a show, but I'll call state police for accident information and stuff. (laughs) And they literally live by the the state motto of live free or go fuck yourself. Yeah. Because they will not tell me anything. Oh, yeah. Which is so weird. It's like, hey, I'm calling from the radio station. I just need to. All I need to know, uh, just please confirm that there is a crash there and that there's this lane closed. And they're like, yeah, no, there's no crash there. We're not doing anything. I'm like, you're lying to me over the (laughs) phone about a crash that you're working. I don't even understand why you're lying to me. Like, adamantly. You're saying, no, we're not working a single thing. There's not one crap. You know what? We haven't done a single thing all day. We're just sitting here eating donuts, and there's been no accidents all day. I'm like, why are you lying to me? Like, how how are the roads up there? Is the snow really affecting bad traffic? There's no snow. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, they're weird. That little chunk between Massachusetts and Maine, um, you know, where you go through Portsmouth on, like, 95, they patrol that thing like Nazis, too. They're like, that's like... Their only vestige of like we can get out of staters because everywhere else like nobody oh yeah travels through New Hampshire. It's yeah, not there's like no a, reason to drive up 91 or 93 unless you're specifically unless you're going, going to New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. but they're they're they just they're like we Maine you can't get out without going through us and Massachusetts you can't get up there without us. like <laughs> and so they just like have nine cop cars on like an eight mile stretch. Oh yeah, and there's I mean there's not much that goes on 95. Which there's a reason for it. Like, there's not a lot of incidents and crashes on 95. Surprisingly, no. Yeah. yeah. Well, you have enough police patrolling the area that everyone stays on their their best behavior. If you see a cop car every mile, you're gonna be like, ah, I'm not gonna speed. Yeah. You know, it, it says something that it works when you if you put a cop car in a certain place. It says something that people will start obeying the law. Like, think about how many times somebody dri- driven by someone else pulled over. What is the first thing they do? Hit their brakes. That's why they should... Which is, they should why, floor it, because it's like, he's already busy, don't worry. That's why we don't need cops, we just need cop cars. Cop cars with lights, <laughs> That's actually what they did. Uh, have you heard that story I told about uh, the guy that I know that killed somebody up in Maine? No. Um, it was... I've done it on stage a little bit, but it's uh, a weird story. This kid that grew up down the street from me uh, got in a fight with his boss. When the fight was over, his boss was dead. And uh, he he beat him to death. Yeah, they were like drunk out at a bar and like stepped outside, and then they got in a fight, and then then they were gone, and they never came back in the bar. And the guy tried to cover it up by like he after he killed him, he put him in um, the dead guy's car, drove the car, parked it on railroad tracks uh, in the town, hoping a train would run it over. Yeah, but he parallel parked it on the railroad tracks, which is weird. So he parked it like the long way. I don't know what the thinking was there. Head on or ass end. Uh, it hit him head on, but it was in the middle of town where the train only goes like 25 miles an hour. So essentially just just pushed it. Just just bumped it. Um, the train, A for effort. I mean, the conductor, like I remember hearing like on the scanner that morning or something about it. They're like train hit a car and 
somebody's dead, but we don't know why. <laughs> and you hear like, oh, a train hit a car, you know, killed a guy. And they're like, mm, but no, there's no, like. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's dead. The train hit him. Yeah. Not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Though. And uh, and so. But it was the Reasons biggest... he died. <laughs> getting hit by a train. Those Venn diagrams we, are two circles. A guy got hit by a train and is dead, but we have canceled out cause of death train <laughs> like that and we we walked onto the scene and we were able to eliminate that one uh but the, the it was the biggest thing to happen in that town and the cops completely botched it touched everything no gloves like all over the car and everything oh jesus so all of that after like they do an investigation f- talk to people at the bar find out for like two weeks it was kind of like everybody knew this guy killed this guy but they couldn't prove. But it. they were putting the investigation together. They couldn't prove it. Then they finally arrest him for it, which is weird because I like would see him around and stuff. And this was up in the town where the ski area was. It happened in the winter, like during ski season. He worked as a lifty at the ski area. Um, and is, uh, lifty's just the guy that controls the gondola or whatever it is. The, the lift the operator. Chairs. Yeah, and uh, like the, when you're at the bottom, you like sit there and load people and stuff and. As the chair swings around, like you hold it to slow down, people get on, you let it go, and they go up. Oh yeah, I'm the worst at getting off those things. Um, and I feel so bad, like when I get off the at the top and I fall down, they have to stop <laughs> the machine. I'm like, I'm sorry, people, I don't know what I'm doing. We were we were uh, smoking with a lift operator one time when I was in like I don't know, middle school or something, and uh, in the little booth at like the midway, there was a midway point you could get off here or stay on and go all the way to the top and there was a little booth next to the ramp and we had just completely hotboxed that booth as like people are going by on the lift and everything um and then my buddy steps out like smoke's pouring out of it as still people are just going by it must be really warm in and there. he like and it was all a wooden deck at the top of the ramp and he like steps and it's wet and it, with ski boots and wood you just slide on him and he just slides backwards and his ass just hits the emergency stop button well, there's like a family of four just swinging on the chair. <laughs> Three stone kids were just like, so- sorry, we stopped the lift on you. Um, uh, we'll get it going back in a minute. Yeah. Like, How do you depress this button? <laughs> uh, so they botched, so the, uh, the, they botched the entire investigation. They had a trial and everything, and they determined at trial that none of the uh, his defense got the whole, you know, scene thrown out they couldn't use the car they couldn't use the body or anything oh. and because of that they didn't they only had circumstantial evidence and uh, and he got off on the whole thing got away with murder got away wow. with it yeah and everybody knows every like everybody it's he oj'd it we'll call it that i have a good for him i guess i mean he did wasn't his intent i mean at worst it's manslaughter it wasn't intent to murder the guy they got drunk got into a fight yeah. and the he other thing too is th- that kid where he grew up and stuff, uh, and how he grew up. You go, he's the first one. You say, you know, this guy killed somebody, and you and you go, yeah, that that sounds about right. Just like came from like really shitty parents and shitty background, and like twelve brothers and sisters who were all you know poor shit. Hellions, yeah. Um, but like. Y- y- not even bad kids, but you just you're like you don't even have a chance, man. Like. Oh, you get angry and get in fights at school? Of course you you're do. Get, yeah. Like, uh, you're just angry at everything all yeah. the time. And I think I saw him after this, and he and he seemed very changed and stuff. And it, it was almost like his 
I think it will end up propelling him to live and be a much better person and, and have a better life because I think you got away with fucking murder. Like, so you, <laughs> yeah, there's like, two ways to go to that. It's yeah. like, I got to clean up my act or exactly. I'm invincible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that Let's only lasts for a second because yeah. you know they are just like like OJ. If he does fucking anything again, we are gonna come down on him so goddamn hard. Oh uh, yeah, because he definitely cleaned up his acts yeah. since ninety two. You know what's crazy about that too is like he doesn't even have to put that on a job resume. What, that got away with murder. Yeah, yeah no, we all know. Yeah. Um, but I'm saying, like, say he moved to someplace completely different. Now with the internet, maybe you could search it and find it out or something. Uh, but like, say you got a OUI and you got convicted of it. You have to write that on. Oh, yeah. Know, it's because it's a, it's a conviction. Yeah, It's yeah, a yeah. conviction. He went through a three-month trial that was in the media. Like, everybody knows it happened, and he could be in Arizona and just be like, have you ever been convicted? Nope. Moving on. <laughs> well, I mean, if they do a background check, it'll show up. Uh possibly if you did i mean google search background check but like i mean what it was but he got yeah well he got off so he's not convicted he doesn't have to put it on on the resume no, anyway. yeah there's no record of it but you know you know what i mean like that yeah, yeah, does yeah, yeah. seem like some like where you, you can be accused of things as long as you're not convicted you yeah have to put but it on even accused is like were you convicted no well, did you go through a giant process where they collected <laughs> evidence and, and it really they, seemed like you were going to be convicted? They, they but, think maybe that you but did it? Because of, you know, the way the law works and uh, some faulty cops like that's Did that happen? Um, yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's, it's convicting people or like judging people on a, an accusation is, is touching around. Like from what this sounds like. It literally sounds like he did it, and just uh, unfortunately, bad circumstance, he got away with right. it. Right? There's plenty of people. Who I'm not saying you, uh, whether or not to judge him, but it's just like when you're filling out a job application, like, have you been convicted of felony? Well, no, I was yeah. not convicted. Like, say later on, the 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 boss finds that out, and you're gonna be like, well, you didn't ask. You're like, this <laughs> is who defines who you are as a person. <laughs> you never thought I'd wanted to bring it up. Um, but no, the reason why I brought all that up was after that uh, that town in Maine, uh, the next voting cycle voted out the police department because they fucked up like so bad. The police chief, you mean? No, whole police department got they rid voted? of the Bethel Police Department. You can do that? Yeah. I didn't know that either. What? And they just opted to have like uh, two state troopers patrol the area. And that's even like... They, you know, around ski season when it's busy, they hang out on the road. But for the, but they kept one cop car and they park it on the busy section and just gets people to slow down. <laughs> In Bethel, Maine, yeah. there's no police, not not a sheriff's department or anything. It's just... um, well, it's a county sheriff. They, okay. they have a couple county sheriffs that because it's a big, you know, rural area. There's not really there's a little bit of like a Norman Rockwell. Main Street downtown with, you know, a few shops and an inn and stuff like that. And then there's the Ski Mountain, which is outside of town that has kind of its own little village and stuff at it. But it's very like, you know, I mean, you've been to a ski place, but it's not probably not quite like this. But the places around here, it's like you drive and there's nothing and nothing. And then all of a sudden there's this manufactured little like walk around village and all the hotels and stuff like that. Okay. Um, which is just abandoned and nobody up there in the summertime. And then in the winter, it's, you know, all the people that are there. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm very, I get very confused on the difference between local police, sheriffs, 
Like I, I know what state is, you know, stadies do. Yeah, and I know local, but the difference between local and sheriff, I don't know. Like especially um, like if you get evicted, uh, like in Maryland, if you get evicted from a place, the sheriff has to come to do it. Yeah, and they they oh they go into your place and they throw all your stuff on the lawn. It's essentially just become. We take a piece of furniture, put it in the lawn. That's your. That's telling you you've been evicted. Yeah. we're not moving all your stuff outside for you. I don't know in especially in city areas what it's like, but I know in Maine the there's county sheriffs, state police patrol the highway for the most part, yeah. and then any sort of crime that may have taken place, um, you know, bigger level crime or like throughout the state or something like. The person, a body was found in one part of the state, but the murder happened in the other. Like, state police are going to handle that because they kind of have jurisdiction over the whole thing. But then you have town police departments, and then the county sheriffs are because it's such a rural area. You have entire counties where no town has a police department because they're just not big enough and they can't afford it or anything. So that you have a county sheriff um, that has you know, five deputies that work for him and they kind of patrol that whole big rural yeah, area. Well, I grew up in Baltimore County and there's Baltimore County, Baltimore city in the County. We have a sheriff. Yeah. But <clears throat> we also have local police. Yeah. And the County sheriff really does nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's mostly like a, a political position. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen a sheriff or a deputy through anywhere throughout Baltimore County. Um, anywhere like the only time i've seen sheriffs or been pulled over by a sheriff or anything like that is the like most rural areas right so i guess that's what it, i guess that makes sense now local police are local in that area and the sheriff goes over a whole county that actually makes sense yeah we learned i learned something today <laughs> i learned a lot actually i don't know much about skiing which you do so uh yeah i love skiing i haven't uh i only went one one day last year and that was the first time in 30 years that i hadn't been before that it was like 80, 100 days a year. Wow. Just cut it off cold turkey. The biggest winter. I mean, winter. do you miss it? Uh, no. I, I, it, there's so much involved with it that, like, of getting up early, driving through shitty weather, being cold all the time, yeah. that it's, like, what I love about it is, like, that little moment where you're actually skiing down on a nice day. But then all the that rest lasts, of it. What, a minute? At, yeah, that lasts, like, a couple minutes, and then you're back on the lift, and then you're freezing going up. Like, there are some amazing days in the spring where it's super warm, and you wear a T-shirt and stuff, and they're and they're really fun. But, like. Yeah, that's when I've gone, like, March, April, yeah. where it's still slight. Oh, not April. I don't think it's been April, but I think we would go, like, late February, early March. Uh, yeah. The only time I've gone is the radio station I worked at. We would take a, a bus full of listeners, of uh, station oh, listeners nice. up yeah. there. Uh, so, for me, free ski trip. Yeah, Ooh, can't can't argue with that. Yeah, why not? Um, so I went and you know just get to be my goofy, laughy, happy, happy self, <laughs> making hey guys, I work for the station. Let's all have fun and get drunk. <laughs> Is that your radio voice? Yeah. I, well, this is actually my normal voice. This is my radio voice. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, just doing that. Um, I, I it's something I've always wanted to do. But again, I didn't start doing it until I've done it twice it, since I've been in my thirties. Yeah. So now, like, my body's just too old for yeah. it. Like, my knees hurt so badly. I could not imagine. I because I can ski now and even you know jump and slide rails and stuff. For the most part, and not fall because I don't get too crazy with what I try. Yeah. But I can do, you know, little things or just like even on big jumps, do like 360s or like 720s just because I know them well enough. But I won't like try new things and shit because I just don't want to fall. Yeah. Um, like how bad is the, how's the knee now? Like do you think you, you like if you 
got, someone's like, hey, you used to be real good. I want to sponsor you again. I want you to start c- competition. No. <laughs> your, your knee wouldn't hold up to it? Uh, no, it would, but I just wouldn't. It, it The amount that uh, skiing has progressed in the past 10 years is ridiculous okay. compared to when I ended competing. The biggest things to do were a 1080 or like a 1080, a D spin 1080, which is like a 1080 with a backflip. Yeah. Um, now the biggest things are switch double cork 1440 where you do you're going your feet are going over your head twice well spinning around four times and you're taking off backwards and landing backwards and those are like the biggest jump oh, that you can do it and yeah. they're doing it off of like 80 to 100 foot jumps which i've hit jumps that big before but for me it was like this is the biggest thing i've ever hit oh my god <laughs> and then for them it's just like that's your your average size jump for and you have three or four of those down a course yeah. so you wouldn't go back to competitive scheme but you physically could is what i was wondering. um your knee could hold up to it yeah, which, uh, assuming I don't fall or something. Yeah. Like it can it can take that. I've I've hit big jumps like that and it can take all the damage, but if you, you know, if you land a little wrong or something, it is it always feels a little weaker. Okay. It gets tired, you know, or Easier. at the end of the day it it hurts a little more than the other. Yeah. But also at this point everything hurts at the end of the day like if I ski really hard um and I try and stretch and like work out a lot to keep that stuff moving, but just years of slamming my back, like it just becomes so compressed. And like, I always have to stretch that and stuff because all growing up, we would just do dumb things like, Hey, let's drop off this 10 foot cliff to complete flat. And we just skew it. Cause you're like 14. You're like, I can't feel it at all. And then when <laughs> it come to be 30 and you're like, Oh, your uh, last four discs are pretty much just one. And <laughs> You're like, I thought I could keep doing that and get away with it. So that when I was coaching, I went back to coaching and I did that for seven years. Um, I uh, would always tell, I was like stretch and like, just be careful of doing those things that like don't hurt now because it does do fucking just keeps doing damage to your body. And you don't think it does because you're like, "That, that, that didn't hurt. Didn't feel it. We don't realize it's like setting you up for hurting later. Yeah. Well, my father used to always yell at me about jumping. Yeah. All things like you're gonna regret jumping all those jumps later. And yeah, now yeah. in my mid thirties, I regret because my knees constant. Like I've never had any major damage from my knees, but they constantly hurt. Yeah, they've always kind of hurt for throughout most of my twenties. But when I uh, lost forty pounds, that's when my knees just blew. Which is weird because I was always a thin kid. Soon after high school, gained eighty pounds like the first year out of high school. So now I was overweight throughout my twenties, and now in my thirties. Um, and then, uh, late twenties, early thirties, I forget when, um, I went, uh, to lose a lot of weight, lost like 30 pounds in a month, ended up losing over 40 pounds through that, out that course. But when I lost that 30 pounds, that's when my knees got worse. Yeah. Um, I could see that in the fact that like you probably felt more confident to do more all of a sudden and your, your knees hadn't, uh, they weren't expecting that, you know, yeah. like you had set up like 10 years of like, this is how you got to work guys. And then all of a sudden you're like, Hey, now I like, I feel a little lighter. And they're like, Whoa, buddy, <laughs> you remember how old you are yeah. again? Well, yeah, it's the age too. Yeah. But, uh, that, that factors in on that. Plus, you know, I was rock climbing, so it was a lot more knees. Oh yeah. I'm working out row, rowing machines. Yeah. So I probably just added, you know, in the, in the working out process, just added more stress to them. Yeah. Than they were under if I had just stayed fat. <laughs> <laughs> 
But so after uh, so after the skiing and everything, you went to the college. You started doing theater. Yeah, I did that. Uh, what have been maybe twenty one or twenty two? I started doing theater um, in college, and and this whole time I was coaching skiing all through college and stuff. I coached skiing during the winters. That's what I do for a job in the winter, and uh, I would landscape during the summer for the most part. Yeah, well, you're doing theater. You said that's your first in college is when you first started doing theater. Do you did you immediately fall in love with it? Yeah, I did theater in high school, and I still love it, and I would still go back and do as much of it as if i could absolutely not only did i i fell in love with it because one the first thing i ever did was a play called the underpants and it was a comedy that was originally written by some german guy and then uh translated and rewritten by steve martin Hmm. and it was super funny and the director i had uh i would just like think of things to like be like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if I added this here? And he's like, absolutely, do it. And so I was like, oh, this is what theater is? This is awesome. And uh, Oh, yeah, directors hate that, though. Yeah, we well, he, he was like a student director who's totally into sketch comedy and stuff, so he was just like way loose about it. Uh, I didn't get any of that about theater because I didn't even start taking a theater class until after I did that play. I just saw an open call for a play. I had done one theater class in high school that I thought was fun, but I was just like, I never have time for this. Um and then yeah, I, sports. Like when you're a high school kid, sports and theater are literally parallel. Yeah, like it's so hard to do both because I did both. Yeah, and it's nearly impossible. And especially when your sport is in no way even aligned with your school. Like you, my coaches and stuff that I have, they didn't even work for the school. I would go to an. I went to a private school and just skied with them because they had a ski team. But I went to school at the public school, and. uh Compared to like if it if they're both at you're playing football and trying to do a play, you can at least be like, Coach, you know the theater person, I get it can I line up this thing and um But so I started doing it in college, had an awesome time doing that first play. I loved doing comedy. Did immediately uh got in as a theater minor after that, got into the next play that they were doing at the college and it was a Sam Shepard drama and I was like Still had a lot of fun and I loved doing it, but it was it was way more like, oh, okay, you gotta stick to the lines exactly, and yeah. they're never playing for the laugh, okay. And uh, but I like performing. And I did that for maybe four or five years. I, I finished out college doing acting all the time, um, and then started doing it in Portland, just at like theater companies and stuff. And then tried, and also in that time started working with guys doing making our own sketch stuff and putting. Yeah, I saw stuff something online. online that looked like when you were much younger that you yeah. had a sketch group. I was going to ask you about that. Um, Tasty Dude Films, they, they got a bunch of great stuff, and uh, we worked. I mean, we still they're still doing a lot of stuff, and then occasionally um, I'll work with them if I'm back up there or something. Um, but me and one of the guys in that. Uh, we're like just having beers on like a Sunday once. And I was like, I've always wanted to try stand up. He was like, yeah, me too. And I was like, all right, let's make a deal. We'll go to the next open mic and do it. And then I went and I was immediately like, this is what I like about being on stage. Cause I like being on stage and stuff, but it was like, the things I don't like are saying other people's words and rehearsal. Yeah. And, uh, and then I found stand up and I was like, Oh, that eliminates the things I don't like about being on stage. I mean, open mics are essentially rehearsal, but it's right. rehearsing in front of an audience. You get an audience, you get that yeah. feedback opposed to like, 
I don't know, constantly just, going over the same things. Yeah, and I always felt like to make it perfect. I always felt like, guys, I'll just learn my lines and then we'll fucking do it on the fly and see yeah. how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can do that in, in comedy in theater. Exactly, you can do that in drama. Like, um, uh, I forget the, their director's name. He did uh, Drinking Buddies. Oh yeah, he was uh, just on. Anna Kendrick's uh, been in uh, like all his most recent movies. He was um, just on WTF. I forget his name. Oh, but was yeah, he? yeah. Uh, oh yeah, uh, it's definitely a J or something. Anyway. That guy, the movies are comedies, they're, they're, but there's drama, too. Yeah. You can go improv with them yeah. a little bit, depending on, you know. But even that, you're still cutting out a lot of fat compared to if you just uh, did yeah. that you live yeah, on yeah. theater. Like live you can't on do that live. You can't yeah. improv that much live. Yeah. Uh, you hear that, I.B.? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shots fired. Nah, I did I did improv in high school. I'm no, very, they'll, be, they'll just yes-handed. Yeah. <laughs> I like improv. I agree <laughs> that it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree didn't, that it's a good thing. Didn't know that was up for debate. <laughs> it's it's definitely a noun, Dennis. Yeah. Definitely a noun. But no, I uh, I'm I'm a fan of it. I think sometimes it just gets a little too pretentious. Mm. Um, certain people, I think, are a little uh, they they begin. And I can, I think the reason why I try to to knock it is because I can be that way sometimes. Where I'm like, no, like I can get a little too serious in it sometimes. So I'm like, ah, you got to pull back, Dennis, on, yeah. on 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 what it is. But and also. You know, there's some good people over at IB and IA, and there's some dicks. It, it is funny though, how, just like, like in the comedy, just in the local comedy scene. Anyway, the stand up, there's some great people. Yeah. There's some dickheads too. Um, how, like, so many people that have done improv have gone on to be some of the biggest actors right now, especially in comedy and stuff. Yeah, very recent. Yeah, it's um, they've, they, especially with like SNL and sketch comedy and stuff. They've, yeah, they've. Stop looking at stand-ups and started moving towards the sketch and improv. Uh, but none of them, like, so, like, oh, I saw you do improv. I want to hire you for this really big thing. To do improv? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> to do everything but improv. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very tightly scripted. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we'll do it. But, like, that's funny. And that's why I think it is, like, a great training method to create those really funny actors. But as a performance itself is, like, it just doesn't. It's too. Sometimes are great. Sometimes are not, and you can't rely on it to be like that thing. Opposed to like what sketch or doing movies or tightly, you know, crafted stand up is, yeah. where you can, aside from you know, shitty shows, you can go like this guy has twenty minutes that is really funny, and he can go do it. Where it's like improv is like you got to do twenty minutes. Wonder we'll what's going what to happen tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, with improv in 20 minutes, but you can also, there's tricks. There's certain things you can yes. do. Like, there's things that we know, we know this is a solid thing every single time. Yeah. And there's improvisers who won't admit that they do that, but they do that. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. hey, I know if I go to this character, it's going to work. Or me and this person, whenever we do a certain thing, it always works. Certain games always work. Um, I auditioned for IB's um, uh, Christmas thing they're doing or um, yeah the christmas thing they're doing yeah uh, they have a christmas show every year oh yeah long show i just auditioned to be a host my improv's rusty and i know that i'm not gonna go in there trying to do something i'm not gonna be good at hosting i can do i'm a stand-up i've been hosting things for decades your improv is rusty my improv my- team's name is rusty <laughs> but, uh... but uh so i'm uh one of the things they had the host do was introduce a game so i was like i came out and i went and introduced the game i was like hey guys you know give it up for the other people blah 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 this just a mock uh, introduction and i was like all right i'm gonna need four people up on the stage here we're gonna need two up here two up there we're gonna play a little game called um silent movie 
or a uh, foreign film. That's what it was called. It was like yeah. interpreter foreign yeah, film. Yeah, it has yeah, a couple yeah. different names. Uh, it's a short form game. Obviously, all the schools here they they want to do more long form stuff. That's what they teach. So I did it, and everyone, <laughs> all the improvised behind. What, wait, what are we gonna play? Wait, you guys don't know. Wait, time out. Do you, have you guys? Do you guys not do this game? Like, do you not know? They're like, we have no idea what you're talking about. And it's just a dumb little game where you have two people, uh, two people doing a, a scene in yeah. a different language, and then you have two people interpreting. Yeah, and there are certain tricks to that to where it's like, oh, if you. Make up haka blinking blaka blue blah and you say something really long. Yeah, and then you do the short short version. Yeah, vice versa or whatever, and eh, it went fine. Like I think one of the improvisers definitely knew what I was talking about, and had the amazing amount of boredom look on her. She had a humongous <laughs> look of boredom on her face while doing it. It's like. All right, look, I'm not a great improviser, and I introduced a, a crappy short-form game, but give me something. Here. Yeah. You're doing a good job interpreting, but at least, look, I granted, there's nobody really watching, but fake interest, bitch. <laughs> like, come on. But, uh, you know, so it's their, like, foreign film is a, is a trick. Yeah. Yeah, that it's easy to, easy to, to fool people into. Yeah. Uh, and make them, and get a laugh out of it. Um, so there's, even though it's all improvised, there's there's tricks to where you could pull out and, like, hey, if we're bombing... You know, we're not we're not doing anything good. We need to get some big laughs now. All right, let's do this. Yeah. I guess it's just in the way of, like, you never really see improv on, like, the highest levels where sketch and movies and stand-up are. Like, there's no, like, improv team. Even, like, UCB or something, like, the original people that did it are never, like, they're putting out a new HBO special of yeah. UCB improv because it's just so, it's, like, well, that's also it's the, not that it's it's a thing that happens in a room in front of a smaller crowd and and occasionally is genius, but also is just like it's a workout place and it's a workout place to go yeah. do be able to be really good in those other things. Yeah, to be really good at, at timing and to be good at character work and to be yeah. good at trusting each other. That's the biggest thing that you can get from improv is learning to trust other people when it being funny. Yeah. Um. So but um, have you done improv? Uh, a little bit, like a lot of the sketch stuff we did, um, unofficially improvs. Like, all right, let's just let's just try things out and see. Let's yeah, let's just we'll, riff, and we'll like we'll go. Okay, let's get down because we we had uh, a couple really good writers. Like we would write stuff, but then we would kind of like throw it to them, and they would clean it up, and we'd have really good scripts. And we did one full length movie with uh, really called The Water in the Bay that was kind of like a dark comedy. Um, and it's all that's completely up on their website or their YouTube page. I think it's like what was the name of the group again? Uh, Tasty Dude Films. Tasty Dude Films. Yeah, right. it sounds like gay porn. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, have you ever met Terry Sachs in the local scene? By the way, mm -mm. Terry Sachs. He was running. He used to run the open mic at Cheers. Um, he he's a flight attendant, so he's in and out of town all the time. Uh, yeah. But his uh his legitimate email address is not gay porn at AOL uh, <laughs> Yahoo dot com. <laughs> Uh, just on that that yeah, it sounds like gay porn and yeah. this also sounds like gay porn even though it says it's not gay porn yeah they're tasty dude films at gmail.com if you want to send them a letter <laughs> um but uh and like the script for that like kind of a bunch of guys like workshopped it together and then uh jake who's uh he's a professional writer too he writes for uh l.o bean and stuff um, which he never wants to say that on the air. I don't know if I should. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Nobody knows his last name. I refuse uh, to edit. <laughs> he, uh, but, you know, he kind of takes everybody's, like, workshop ideas and stuff and, like, 
comes together and writes really good stuff. But even with, with some of the sketches, it'll be like, all right, let's get down what the script says. And now let's do a couple more times and maybe a couple takes of yeah, throwing out some stuff. Else, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and from that have gotten some really great, you know, laughs and stuff like that. Did you leave those guys to come here? Essentially? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I came here to do stand up all the time and stuff and, and we love doing stuff together, but I think we all kind of want to like, it would be great. We talked about it. Like if we could all find some house in New York and like move there and kind of keep individually doing, cause Jake writes, he wants to, you know, eventually like, or he has been published, but like, you know, maybe like do some novels and stuff. So the guy, John, who's more of the, uh, uh, tech directs a lot of our stuff, does a lot of editing works now at a, a TV station, like one of these outdoor life network, TV stations and is learning a lot of like stuff like that. And I think he eventually wants to, we love working together, but we all kind of want to do like have our own career within that and stuff too. So it would be great if we could all kind of like each stage move together so we could keep doing stuff well, pursuing our own things. But it was just like, after so long of driving down here and being there doing stand up, I was like, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I gotta, Keep it, going. Otherwise. Yeah, I mean, they're staying in Portland doing... For now, yeah. I mean, and well, that's know, the thing about, like, Jake with writing is you can do that there. From anywhere. You can do that from anywhere. Yeah. Um, John was lucky enough to get a job that's helping him learn more in what he wants to do anyway. And now, like, eventually, do you have to go... I don't know. Like, even directing now, like, because you can just put stuff on the internet and then people... You know, like, you used to have to, like, be in Hollywood or New York directing plays or, like, working as PAs and stuff. And now you can just make it, put it up there, and then maybe the people that want to hire you for the jobs will see it. Yeah. Opposed to, like, you have to work your way up before you even get an opportunity for them to see it. Uh, Yeah. And and, and that is true. You know, I watch a lot of uh, web series, um, YouTube series about people... Uh, the film industry and stuff because it, that interests me and fascinates me. Like, there's a lot that you can do and and to outside of New York and LA yeah. to start getting work. But eventually at some point you do have to move there. Yeah. So you can pretty much do everything but actually be in Hollywood to get a job until you move to Hollywood. Yeah. Like you can move there with a little more credit under your belt. You know, um, but unfortunately, some people still look at that industry, you know, still look at YouTube like college foreign, uh, you know, college films, student films and stuff like that. That is. Um, an- but there's some people who are taking them into consideration like this is really good. Let's see what you can do with a budget or right. not. But there's there's but it's also getting to the point where some people are like, you know, you have a universal come up to you and go. We'll give you thirty million dollars to do this, but you have to do these these, these things. And they go, "Oh, I just made twenty thousand dollars putting that on YouTube, so I'm just going to do that again." Yeah, I don't like you. There are very select few who have probably made good amounts of money, like uh, putting stuff on YouTube or Vimeo, or like just being on the internet. But there's also becoming kind of that underlayer of like, uh, I make enough money, like I, I you know doing it this way and and I don't have to listen to anybody else and yeah and I have 7 million people watching my shit what do I need you for what do I need you yeah. exactly uh, but it's also it's I mean dude when you work on a, a low budget production oh that's it's ours. a lot of work yeah. well you know yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of work that you have to do for yourself when you start getting to that level it's almost to the point like when you when, when you look at 
all the amount of people that are involved. Like I'm watching Project Greenlight, Greenlight yeah. right now on HBO. And there's so many people involved on a short. And they're like, oh, it's a three million dollar budget. It's a it's a small small uh, small finance film. It's a it's a low budget film. And I'm like, yeah. but look at all the people you have for yeah. that three million dollars. It's almost it's literally like the director has to come in. You know, he's the winner of the contest. He comes in, he directs, and then he leaves. Whereas small budget, when you're making it on your own. You literally show up two hours before everybody gets there. Oh, you yeah. do all the lights and everything. So you might have somebody helping you. Yeah. You're probably shooting yourself. Um, even if you have a, a photographer for you, a cinematographer for you, you're still directing him. You're doing every little th- thing. Then at the end of the day, when it's like, all right, we're not allowed to, we're, we're done shooting. Now you got to pack everything else. Yeah. There's no, no, I mean, that's there's how no show up, direct and leave. Yeah when you're doing it on yourself. So that is kind of appealing. It's like, Hey, we're going to give you a bunch of assistants and a bunch of people to do all this stuff. You just show up and do your job. But I, that, very true. I don't know if I would ever want to do that. Having worked with those guys, we had, we had five core guys that we made all this stuff together. Um, and then maybe for each shoot, we would find one or two people um, to help out or we'd pay like 20 bucks or something to be the boom up and then actors. And, uh, I found, I don't know if I could ever, I didn't do a lot of the directing, but I was, you know, we had all written this stuff together and I was, I, we all had cared and had opinions about how the set looked and, and lighting. And we would, you know, the guys who were really good at the directing and lighting stuff would light it. And then we all kind of look and be like, can we change that a little? Like, what do we think about this? And I don't know if I, especially when it's something that you created, if I would ever want to just walk in and then leave it into other people's hands, which is like guys like, uh, Mark Duplass, like the Duplass brothers and stuff like they are getting the, a little more of the clout and stuff where they could do that. And they still don't like, or like Louie or something like he could have a show where he just writes in let's, but he's like, no, I, when you're making stuff like that, you just have the, like, I don't want to leave that up. They're going to screw it up. Like, just let me do it. And so like, when you really care about stuff like that, like, you know, the, the work doesn't seem like work. It seems like I have to do this because nobody else can. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's something to be said to, to, you know, that's positive about micromanaging and everything in a project like that. But also, uh, I'm a firm believer the mark of a good leader is somebody who can put their people in the place of success. Yeah. So if you can delegate and still get as good of quality by just saying, you go do this, you know, like you, you have to surround yourself with people who are, who know what they're doing. Yeah, well, you know, and that you trust are they're gonna know what they're doing. But Unfortunately, I, when you're at that big of a scale, you're in there. It's not like the the guy who's uh, who won Project Greenlight. It's not like he's hiring every single person. They literally said, "Here's your producers and stuff." Grant, that's a little bit different. But when you're at that younger level of of you know when you're a newer director and and, and that stuff, you're basically just another person who's hired by the producers. Yeah, as the executive producers just to fulfill their vision. Yeah. So you're fulfilling their vision in your in your in your eye. And I guess I just think that uh, now, now there's an in-between level of either it was you don't work or have a job at all, or you get a job work like at the highest level in the studios and stuff. And maybe you start lower and work up. But even as far as directing was like either you do some independent thing for no money that nobody is ever going to see or care about, especially before internet. Oh yeah, absolutely. It, the only people are going to see this are the people that I take it around to to see it. 
or you work at a, uh, you know, at that higher level for a studio or something where now there's that mid level of, I can at least make a little bit of money and, and continue and, doing it. Yeah. And have an opportunity for pretty much anybody that wants to, to see my film or to see my sketch or something because it's online. Now, whether or not they'll ever hear about it, who knows, but it That's is what, yeah. available. <laughs> Promoting is a completely different story. It is available for anybody I ever meet to be like, do you want to see my film? This is how you see it. And they can do it at your own time. And then eventually make a little money opposed to like, here's this VHS copy. The only VHS copy I right. have of it. Or I want to be a director. Let me go be a PA for 10 years and never get to direct for 10 years and to work my way up to eventually be a director you, and make no money anyways. Or let me direct for 10 years and make no money. But I have ten years of directing under yeah. my belt. Um, do you want to do more sketch stuff or or any of that stuff now that you're here in Boston? That you like I, if, if somebody wanted to put something together, you'd be like okay, yeah. I well, the thing is, I really like acting in sketch stuff and and especially like using editing to make jokes. I think is I love. It's another oh, it's an way art of, to itself. Yeah, it's another way of crafting jokes, and I I think it's really funny and using visual stuff to also create the the joke and everything so there is I, i've been thinking about like some different ideas for like either sketches and or like little short web series type things of like little five or ten minute episodes of instead of just a sketch it's kind of a continuing thing yeah. but it's basically just a mold for a sketch or whatever yeah. um so i've been thinking about doing that uh and maybe after like oh, i've been here a year and I, i've feel pretty comfortable here now so like start working on another project where like the first year i was here was just like let me get to know everybody get into every club i can get into yeah and uh but i have enough now of like book nights of the week where i'm doing stand-up that i don't feel like i got i could take like a night and be like this night i'm gonna work on doing this thing to put online all the time because i think ultimately that will help stand-up you know progress anyway but I don't have to like be out at that open mic. I could be working on something else instead. Do you think you're at the point where you're like, I can take a night off from an open mic to do something else? Only because, I mean, in my mind of, I uh, obsess and never think I'm working hard enough at it. But I could only take a night off because I I think this is something else that I'm working on towards yeah, yeah. that. The thing yeah. you're taking you're taking off from open mics to do another project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you. Um, so let's get to the the daytime uh, stuff because you moved here, you got a job. When you moved here to Boston a year ago, you needed a job, obviously, to survive. Yeah. And you got a job at a bakery. We yes. st- kind of started talking about it before, but let's go a little more into the bakery thing. Yeah. I, uh, I, I it's obviously early mornings. Uh, you got to be there by seven usually. Uh, oh, really? That's actually late, I would think. Um, well, I'm not doing any baking or anything. Yeah, I'm just, just delivering. Like uh, yesterday when I filled in. It was a different shift. So I, I'm not even doing – I'm doing like customer delivery. Um, nobody else – and we deliver to, you know, uh, all the like financial places downtown and stuff like that. So they're not in their offices until 9 anyway. Um, and I realized from being in all of those, those people don't really work. They, they, they're they just like – it's we, they're all going to be replaced by machines at some point. It's a very like – 
No, not the bakers. Bakers, absolutely not. No, the people are delivering. The people at like Dow Jones or not oh, Dow Jones, the, but like the people who you're delivering to. Yes, you walk into these rooms that it's just people at computers, and it's like you're just being used for your brain at this point. Because this, the point and click stuff, like you're just a an information switcher or gatherer, and then turn it into a different thing, or like you know, ad firms. There's a little creative there, but for the most part, like any financial institute, the people that are doing work there, they're just making sh- calls. They're taking in information, making a decision about it, and moving on. And, and I think that's all stuff that we have programs for eventually and like don't need those people. That's I always I have a theory, too, and like that's why they <laughs> wear suits because, one, a suit you can't do anything in. It's basically meant to just look good, stand Still, and even if you sit down, like it wrinkles and (laughs) unbutton it, yeah. Um, but it's they they're like, My body is important, see, and you're like, No, actually, you don't do anything with your body, (laughs) you just have to give that feel of importance about it. Like, my body is important because I use my body and it's I need it to get through my life, and like, you're just a head on a stick that is, and your whole job is just gathering information and putting it out anyways this is why i feel about the people that i deliver to <laughs> so you're so you're you're, you're basically never going into a, a shirt and tie business oh at this point it's way too late for that yeah any well, place I mean, even just doing it just like uh i have to show up to a job where i answer calls but i have to wear a shirt and die you're like nope i wouldn't not. i don't think i could get that job at this point one i couldn't do that i couldn't just sit there i have, I have too much energy and i need to be out moving but I think after like 32, if you've never worked in an office, you're never going to get hired in an office. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm at that weird point in my life where, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've had plenty of side jobs while working in radio, but I've worked in radio, which is technically an office environment. Yeah. But it's kind of not. Yeah. You know, like we had, especially now where I'm just in a company that does traffic reports, we have no office personnel. Mm-hmm. There's no cubicles. There's none of that stuff. Like when I was on the FM music side of things, we had sales staff, we had HR staff, yeah. all these people who were just in, in rows, cubicles, every under fluorescent lights every day. Yeah. You're very typical office people. And then of course you had all the jocks and engineers and producers and guys like me um, running around doing everything else, never sitting at a desk, never sitting in a cubicle in a studio. And you're in that environment next to these weird people that have, the souls sucked out of yeah, them just... and put into it. And that's the only thing that's powering the lights, <laughs> but you're not one of them. Yeah. You're right there with them every day, but you're not one of them. Yeah. And I was like, if I were to leave radio, I don't, I don't know if I could do the office job either, but I think that's the only thing out there. It's either continue to do sale, you know, uh, customer service, customer industry, you know, service industry stuff, which that's, what's killing me is I just don't want to do that stuff anymore. Yeah. But it's also, I don't know if I could pull on a shirt and tie and sit in an office every day and sign car, birthday no. cards and, and cutting sheet cake on so-and-so's birthday. Ugh. I, I The only time I was ever in an office was uh, I interned for a state congressman uh, in college with a political science class that I took. And one day a week for like six or eight weeks, I would go in for uh, half a day and I would do like computer work for him. And I I could barely sit through four hours. I was like, this is the longest <laughs> shit I have ever done. Oh, my God. Like, I could not imagine being sitting at a desk in one place 
for eight hours a day for 40 hours a week, I would, yeah, I would make, I would make it two weeks. I would, I would, I, I just never would. I mean, it's, some people enjoy that, and that's fine by them. There's nothing wrong with you enjoying it. I, yeah, we're both undermined that it's just. I don't think some people do. do enjoy it. I think that it's it's weird that it's it's money and it's the idea of that's successful to like the idea that that's stable somehow to be like this is I'm, look I'm sitting at this desk this desk is always going to be here for me like yeah. it's a it's idea of stability of a job and stuff but well, I don't think anybody that does it really loves it I don't yeah. like I see them all the time and they're just like they, it's they it's all it's all to do that to get out of there to do something else like the this is a, only a means to an end there's nobody who's like just you know what fucking figuring out insurance claims it's my passion like yeah. nobody uh, yeah <laughs> I just love sitting at this desk yeah. but I mean there's people design like Dude, I was in jail for two months, and there's literally people who are designed to go to jail. They and that's because their life is regular regimented. Yeah, they get up at the same time. Yeah, they get fed at the same time. They do the same things every day, and that's the only way those people, even by their own admittance, not me saying, "Oh, you can't survive very yeah. well." There's people who's like, "I can't survive outside of prison. I can't. I need to be forced into a regiment." Well, they people just didn't get that. into the military early. Enough. Yeah, exactly they could have just done yeah. that with the military. <laughs> well, yeah, if you want to talk about being brain, uh, not brain, well, brainwashed and have your independence broken and told what to do. Yeah, the military is for that. Yeah. Uh, God bless the troops. Anyway, but, uh, <laughs> I uh, I mean, there's the, like, you know, when I worked in radio and worked in, in the service industry and stuff, I worked weekends, nights, whatever and stuff. When I came to Boston, I finally had a Monday to Friday, Friday yeah. job. Granted, it's not nine to five, but it's still Monday to Friday, holidays off, sort of, kind of, every once in a while, whatever, but... I get, you know, I go to work at the same exact time every day. Yeah. I come home at the same time. And I was like, this is always, this is what I've been wanting for years is that stability a little bit, like a little more normal stuff. And now that I'm three years into it, I hate it. Oh, yeah. I look at the same faces every day on the train. It's like, ah, tomorrow might be the day that I set you on fire. Yeah. And you've done nothing. I just can't stand to look at you anymore. See, that's and the, not talk. That's the funny thing is that I do enjoy somewhat of routine. Like, uh, as I far thought as I would too until needing, I started doing it. Needing a job to do comedy, I this is this is a a great one to have. I, I before it was landscaping and it was that was eight to five, but I would done and that was even better because it kept me in shape on top of all the drinking I would do every night because I'm in bars and comedy clubs. Uh but this one I I like it's sevens a little earlier than I would have to do landscaping, but it's a five minute bike ride from where I live. Yeah. If you got to be there at seven, you get up at six thirty. and you yeah. get there. Yeah. And the, the people are nice enough. And I really like, I, I go in and get deliveries and then jump. I'm, I'm alone a lot. And a lot of people are like, aren't you lonely? I'm like, no, it's, yeah, I'm having a discussion with myself here. And I never get that idea of like, do you ever get that of like loneliness? There's like a deeper loneliness of like, you know, I've been single for two years and I like that kind of loneliness, yeah. but like just being by yourself for the day, like, oh, I, I enjoy that so much. Like yeah. spend some time with me when get, get, you get I'm caught sure. up with myself. Listen to podcasts, listen to music. Radio, yeah, stuff totally. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, like if you were sitting in complete silence all day long. Uh, so speaking thing. of that, well, they're not in quite in complete silence, but this is I always find it like a weird, like dirty secret to how buildings and institutions around Boston and probably everywhere work is a lot of the deliveries I have to do 
are into buildings like the Prudential or um, or uh, the Hancock and stuff. And you can't bring it. You don't just go in through the lobby. They don't allow deliveries through the lobby. You have to go through the Back loading part, dock. Yeah. And then you take a freight elevator. One is like uh, the Hancock has six or eight elevators if you just go in through the lobby because it's a giant building. And they need that many to get all those people around. But then everybody who delivers to it, which they rely on for that building to operate, has one elevator. One freight elevator. One freight elevator to use that it can take you 20 minutes to just go up to one floor and then back down. And the the Hancock does not, but uh, the Prudential does. Um, A lot of the other ones have a guy who just sits in that elevator. And you get in, and he checks your pass, and then he pushes your button, and he is in a steel box all day, just sitting there, like, pushing, going up. And I'm like, that, oh, that is, like, that well, is hell, if you ask me. Like, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's kind of bad. Like, I, I, you know, you see the old black and white movies, like, oh, what, you know, the elevator attendant who's press, pressing the levers and moving things. But that, it's like, like, at oh, a hotel, like, yeah. yeah, that's like a little, this, these are, are not dressed up elevators either. You're sitting in a cold oh, yeah. steel box. Luckily, Pro- they. Par- probably open. <laughs> like, you can um, see the wires in some of them. I've been in freight elevators where it's basically just a cage around you. Oh, yeah. And no. you can see the the actual elevator around you. I think with everything probably built after like 85 yeah. or something around here, a lot of the buildings are newer, nicer, but they there was probably regulations. About oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I've seen freight elevators where it's like, this is more just less a platform attached to the to yeah. rope. But yeah, freight elevators are, yeah, there's nothing. But luckily they have phones now. And you can look at the internet and stuff all day. So that's yeah. mostly you'll walk in and they're just staring at their phone. Also, they've opened up on me before and I have like a big platter of food and the guy's just asleep in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, can, can you blame him? No, not at all. But uh, I can't imagine before phones, like I guess maybe you read a newspaper or something, but you're just... Read a book, ma- magazine. Yeah, you're just... Listen to the radio. Uh, well, dude, radio, that's why radio was around for so long. It's the only thing you could do everywhere you went. Yeah, although I don't know. Maybe it did. I guess you'd probably be able to get some stations, but... Uh, you know, they can't have headphones on or anything like, or I've never seen any of them listening to things. And I think that's part of, you know, you're not allowed to like, not listen to what's going on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like you have to talk, you have to check somebody and talk to them and whatnot. But so so that's how all food gets to, uh, gets to people in those tall buildings. If there's anybody listening. It's all just bakery, what danishes, bagels, Uh, donuts, no bagels, no donuts. Uh, they do a lot of pastry stuff for breakfast things, and then but they have a whole savory side too of salads and sandwiches and soups and oh. quiche and stuff like that. So we do a lot, most of what I'm delivering our lunches, our uh, oh. platters, sandwiches. Yeah, I just assume stuff. you're delivering like bagels and danishes. Uh, yeah, I mean they make. Do they have danishes? They do. They do some fancy. Like I just assume when I think stuff. of bakery, I just think breakfast stuff. Yeah, uh, but no, they don't do bagels. They don't have bagels. Okay. Um, so it's mostly lunch, lunch stuff. A lot of lunch, but then you'll do like coffee and pastry morning meetings and stuff like that. And they'll use, and that's the other thing about driving around Boston, and it makes it weird for delivering is uh, how congested it and difficult it is to get around to the point where like we have a delivery that is less than one mile from us. We need a half hour to to make that delivery. Yeah, between um, the freight elevator and the traffic, and between yeah. the parking. 
either try if you can't park in the loading dock finding the you know a uh, commercial parking space that's open wheeling it there going through the ele- one elevator coming back down driving back to the place like we have we buffer ourselves a half hour or you bring multiple deliveries and you just park the van and take it out of there and walk to the different parts of town like are you doing the same route every day or no because it's all just uh, it's a lot of the same buildings um i know them a lot of the same customers and stuff but it's all just based on who calls and orders so uh, so it's not like somebody it's not like a certain office of the prudential building saying hey we order these breakfast items every day you know there's day. there's like two places that have a standing okay. order that you always take but no for the most part it's who do we have Wednesday? Okay, we have these guys at 125 High and then these guys at 10 Summer Street, which, and I know all those companies because they always order from us, but it's in no way like the it's same It's not the same ones. order every, yeah. every day, whatever, no. it changes around and stuff. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's not bad. You go to work at 7 o'clock, you're off what? 3 o'clock? 4 o'clock? Uh, 4 is usually the the latest. That's the other thing, too, is you kind of, some days I'll, the morning will be so, you be like, oh, you have deliveries from 8 o'clock, you know, straight through till 1230, but then that's it. And then that's that's your day, and you get done at like one o'clock or something. Um, oh, so you're pretty much out of work by one, two o'clock at the latest regularly. Uh, I would say three. It's three. usually about two thirty or three that I that I get done because I also the van that I use is in Alston, um, and I ride my bike over there, pick it up, and then drive to the Barry, which is I work at one of two of them that are in Back Bay or in uh, um, you know Fort Point area. Over by Laugh Boston. Okay. The, the uh, Seaport District. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so that's so whenever I finish, I have like maybe a 15, 20 minute drive back to the bakery. So it adds like a half hour or whatever. But yeah, most but of the. That's still great. I mean, you're still off, you know. Oh, totally. So perfect. Because 7 a.m., getting up at 6 or 7 a.m. is not that bad. And especially especially if, since like we were talking about how everything. We're not staying out to the bars at 2 in the morning. Yeah, on a Tuesday. But even if I do, and I, and especially Tuesdays, I have done that. Uh, oh, I've been, been yeah. at the Middle East until like one or one thirty. Um, but still, that's still four. Like even if you get home at two o'clock, get four hours of four sleep hours or sleep. so, go into work, and then I can come home and take a nap if I need to exactly, before yeah. I go out to do another show that night. Which is what's nice. That was the thing that made uh, God, that's so perfect. Um, landscaping a little tougher of like, and especially being in Maine getting done at five and needing to get directly in my car, drive straight to Boston, change on the way. Um, in landscaping, you get dirty and sweaty. You're very dirty and sweaty trying to like wash your hands at the uh, like Kennebunk rest stop to like yeah. clean up a little bit. Like you're carrying around your own orange tub of pumice, yeah. <laughs> liquid pumice soap. Um, and then uh, And then doing a set, driving back to Maine, and getting that, it's still getting back at like one o'clock, getting like five or six hours of sleep, and then going straight back and not having any of that time to like be done and take a nap if I need to or something. Oh god, that's so perfect! Like, I mean, granted, everyone knows that I get up at four a.m. to go to work to start at six because yeah. of the, whatnot. I mean, if I was driving to work, I'm I'm supposed to start at five thirty. Yeah, but since I moved out here, I can't get there until six because of the tea. Oh yeah, uh, so. We just shifted my my hours back, but I have a split shift. Oh, really? God, it's the worst thing in the world. Like, I don't mind getting up early and going to work early. I just don't get off early is the problem. Yeah. I get off at 9.30. I come home, and I go back at 2 
till six thirty. So I'm working morning drive, afternoon and afternoon oh, drive. Oh yeah, yeah. So no matter, even I come home uh, at best, I'll get an hour and a half nap at best. Usually it's about forty five minutes. Yeah, to thirty minutes, depending on what I do. And no matter what you do, it feels like thirteen hour days every day. Yeah. Then I get off at six thirty. That's enough time for me just to get to an open mic. Yeah. Uh, Middle East is one of the only ones where. Just because of where I live, I could come here, grab something, and then go there. But then I'm getting there just before nine, before everything starts. Yeah. So I usually just go there, and it's either get to a place just in time or get there with too much time to do to to sit around, but yeah. not enough time to do anything else. So, like I have an dude, hour have and schedule. fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. So it's work great. So I'll, I'll probably stick with it uh, until I don't have to do a job anymore. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? The, I, the the regimentedness of uh, even when like on weekends or a, so, a couple of times when I um, was in Maine and uh, would landscape over the summer, I would save up money and then I would coach skiing in the winter, but I would only coach on the weekends. Uh, and I would do a little landscaping here and there in the winter. Like you can go cut trees and stuff yeah. like that. I would do that like one or two days to make some extra money. But I would still like, so it was like, Three days a week, all, all I would have was to do was go to a set somewhere at night. I would still like wake up, go to the gym, come home, have coffee, go do some. I like still like the routine, and I and I know like once I don't have to work another job anymore, and I'm just doing comedy, I, I still have like very much a routine of like it's but it's just doing things you enjoy to do, yeah, opposed to like get up go to a place you don't want to be at and go but i was still like i like waking up early and i like having the the day to use and even if i got into bed real late i was still like up by like 8 30 or 9 and uh even if i'm tired i'm like well i'll take a nap later in the day but i want to yeah. go do these things oh dude i was up at 7 30 today and, and, and yesterday but i also realized like last weekend i got hammered oh, my yeah. uh, roommate works at a restaurant and he needed help so after I got off work, I went and helped him. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're just paying me in booze and food <laughs> and cash. Though. But I would accept that any one of the three payments, they didn't have to give me all three. Yeah. Uh, so we got hammered, closing up, went, got even more hammered. And I came home and uh, like, it's so Saturday morning. I didn't wake up till like 1030, 11 almost. And I was like, oh, that's that's why I wake up so much because I don't drink like I used to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I didn't wake up with that. I don't have hangovers. I don't wake up with hangover, but. Uh, I was drinking till three, four in the morning. Even that little bit of drinking still just slows that waking up process. You sleep a little deeper, a little yeah. bit longer. You know, like when I don't, I barely drink now. So I, I'll, you know, last night I went to bed like one, two o'clock. And then at seven thirty, my body's like, it's time for you to get up now. Yeah. Which, you know, it is what it is. But, you know, you, know, you never want to wake up on the weekend earlier than you're supposed to. Yeah. Although I don't, I mean. It's nice to wake up early and be able to get things done and get get your day rolling, but also at the same time, you just want to lay in bed till noon, and your body's like, nope, that's not going to happen today, Dennis. Uh, Some people, like, they really enjoy sleeping. The only time I'm ever like, oh, I want more sleep, I wish I got, is for like 10 minutes when I wake up. Yeah. And then once I wake up and I get out of bed, I have no desire to, like, get back in better, like catch up on that sleep. Like, I don't know why it is for me, but for some reason it makes me feel better mentally to be up and doing things opposed to sleep. I've always said like, doesn't sleeping, sleeping feel like giving up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you, uh, you lost to the world. Like, yeah. 
Well, dude, it's, you know, there's, when I was living by myself, there was plenty of days where I didn't move from the bed. I wasn't sleeping. I just laid there watching TV. Yeah. And some days we're here where, you know, you get nothing done, but some days here I wake up at 730 and I don't even turn on the TV. I just go and my, you know, my roommates sleep in and they, you know, to whatnot, whatever hour. And I, I still have to tiptoe around the house because I don't want to wake them up, but I want to do something. Yeah. So like if I'm doing laundry, doing dishes, whatever, I'm still tiptoeing around the house and I'm doing things for three, four hours and it's 1130 and I look at the clock and go, I don't have anything else to do. And then you sit down, you start watching that TV. Yeah. And then you're like, all right, I guess I'll go do something now that I've watched TV. And then you go, it's five o'clock. What did I do? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I mean, is it too much after work? You get off work at three. Is it? Too much time for you to? No, I. I you think it's enough time? That. It's because yeah, I, I feel like there's that too much time paradox where it's like, oh, I got plenty of time for this um, thing, and you waste all that time. No, I I have I have like a little after work routine that I like to where uh, I will go home, uh, walk my girlfriend's dog, um, then I'll usually do some sort of exercise, either go running or like uh, lift or something, and then uh, make dinner, and then it's usually time to go to a show. Okay. And yeah, so it's en- enough time for you to stay busy enough. Because I feel like if I got home at three, me and other people was like three o'clock. All right, I'm home at three. I got four hours before I need to be at 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 this show at this open mic. Let me watch a quick minute of TV, and then you're like, oh crap, it's six thirty. Yeah. Let me eat something and rush out the door. It it honestly works perfect. Especially, I it makes me very productive having the schedule because. Uh, I have two hours to do whatever errands or things you have to do at those places that are nine to five places. Like whether it's going to the bank or like, Oh, I need to get to the post office today. Like, uh, and it forces you to do them right then opposed to like, I got all day to do it. I'll get it done. And sometimes like, as soon as you get out of work, like here are the errands you need to do and you have to go straight and do them. And then your stuff is all done and it's five o'clock and you can hang out for an hour or two before going to an open mic. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's. I feel like I work better and sh- like I'm more productive in shorter amount of times. And if you give me too much time to do something, yeah, it'll, it'll get done the last minute. But if you give me a short amount of time, I'll get it done early. Yeah. So like, I only have two hours to do this. Let me do it now. Knock it out of the way. But also, most of my weekend spent now. When I wake up at like seven o'clock yesterday, I woke up at seven thirty. I spent from seven thirty to almost noon doing um, the website, the Our Boston oh, yeah, Comedy yeah, yeah. site, because I didn't finished all the posts and stuff for that. So I was doing that and all that. And I looked at it. I was like, I just spent, eh. I woke up, I, I put a load of laundry in, went and got breakfast, came back, ate, did that. And so by the time I started doing it, it was like almost nine. Yeah. But I still spent three hours in, you know, running around, doing things, eating, doing this. It took me three hours essentially to do the website stuff, the Facebook and Twitter posts. Oh yeah. So that's just three hours of now. Granted, it's one of those like, if I just sat there and I did this straight through, didn't take any cigarette breaks, didn't stop to eat, didn't stop to change laundry loads, how long would it actually take me? But in that three hours, four hours, I've gotten more done where I don't know if I would have done each thing individually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but laundry, you can't, like when you're doing laundry, you can't you can't speed that process up. You just put it in the machine yeah. and just go well, do something I'll, else. I'll totally do that. I'll go, I'll put laundry in, go for a run, come back, it's ready to switch over, switch it over, then I'll take my shower and get dressed and ready to go to a show that night and then laundry's all done um this is fascinating stuff for people to listen to uh <laughs> well, I, mean, I think it is we all have no we I all think... have to deal with our daily lives doing yeah. this comedy stuff that's really what i want to get into like 
I mean, granted, we're talking about laundry yeah, this point. Laundry cycles it might be a little, bit, <laughs> a little, a little too minutia. But, you know, somebody might hear that and go, hey, you know what? That, that might make that. Like, I, I never really thought about how. If anybody hears this and it, I just changed your life <laughs> with how you manage your laundry and exercise routine, like, let me know. Yeah. Let me know. <laughs> Tweet them at Jordan <laughs> Just hand, Handron CV. At Handron CV. I, 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 I can't keep everyone's Twitter handle straight. Um, it's so many of them, but, but I was going to say that that we were talking about before, like doing all that stuff on the comedy, like eventually that will be, you're, you're filling in for what it will eventually be a, uh, a machine machine or app or something of like, you know, you'll still run the site, but you'll just go put it into one thing and go now put this out to everything. And it does Facebook, Twitter, like it just puts it all out there for you. Who do you think? job is going to get replaced by a machine first the people in these office buildings that you're talking about mm-hmm. or you as a delivery guy um, google car dude google google card it could it could deliver your your donuts and or your uh baked goods your bakery goods it's probably seems easier than making a computer think right but no because that, that they'll take care of the driving but there's still i put together the orders at the bakery you know, you, you have to go to the savory side and the bakery side, gather it all together, put it in the car. Then once you get there, bring it up to the building. Like, You don't think they can have a robot in a car? The car drives there automatically. The robot comes out, drives in, gets in the elevator, goes up, and puts it where it needs to go? I'd say You don't where... think that would happen before No. before no. replacing that will drones in, a, in an office building? That will happen, but no, not before. Hmm. Because there's still so much that I'm doing that I haven't seen robots come close to yet of like so you robots can build cars but you don't think they could put a bakery order together uh no i don't think they could put it together bring it out to a car manage through boston get to the spot go to like that's several different types of robots okay um but i don't think there's one there needs to be somebody at the bakery to put the order together but once you put that order together you put it in the van you put all those orders in the van, and then the robot just – you you type in the address, and it just does it. it would, but it does. But what the people at the – I don't know why I'm defending. I hate this job. <laughs> uh, but I just feel like the where you're delivering to, they're so helpless. Like they need it brought in and put in front of their face, yeah. which I'm not saying a robot won't be able to do at some point. But will that robot be cheaper than a person is what will determine whether or not yeah. – Opposed to, I mean, honestly, we're gonna have all automated cars before that happens, right? Because once you get automated cars on the streets, then you can start doing automated everything else. Yeah, like you can't have a robot, a, a one robot, one automated car amongst every other jackass yeah, in Boston exactly. or on the streets or whatever. They need to all be automated cars. But what I'm saying is uh, that the the idea of a robot, like a an app or a program replacing somebody who just sits at a computer is that technology exists now and we have it and it's just a matter of somebody putting it together and building it opposed to like we still don't you know cars we haven't quite figured out we're getting them to drive on their own and stuff like that but we you know the whole system needs to change over where you could wipe out a, a floor at like uh, Goldman Sachs of stock analysis people with one app that gets invented and goes, oh shit, you just 
took care of the, everything that our accounting apartment does. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but also once you start wiping out all those office people, kind of wipes you out to, your job out too. If you're not delivering to those places, this is true. Yeah. And just the orders are smaller. Bring it yeah, in. Well, orders just smaller. one guy just watching a bunch of computers like, nope, they're all working. And I just you bring know, I don't him. need a whole tray of, of a donut of pastries. Uh, you know what? I'll just get my own pastry. Yeah. We'll save the money on that. Oh, uh, so. Well, this was a good talk. It's interesting yeah. that they hear what you do every day. Yeah, that's right. And it's honestly the other thing that is perfect for comedy is that I'm alone in my own head thinking of things and yeah. I, I come up with a lot of bits. That's the best time to work write, on them is when you're just doing menial tasks, yeah. driving, shower. I need to put a dry erase board. I've been meaning to a dry erase board in my shower Yeah, for when that I'm lathering up and I'm like, and I start replaying whatever set is in my head or whatever. It's like, so I can write it down because it happened to me a couple weeks ago. I had a great new joke or I assume would be a great new joke for a bit that I'm doing and got out of the shower, completely forgot it. Didn't remember it until I left work at six, thir- 12, 13 hours later. Almost 14 hours later, I didn't remember that I had even thought of a new bit. Yeah. Until 14 hours later when I was going to the open mic. I was like, wait, didn't I think of something this morning for this? I don't remember what it is. But at least if I write it down there, I can take a picture. I can come back to it later. Because um, that's when, that's literally when these things hit yeah. you the most. When you're driving, when you're, you know, doing menial tasks, like if I'm sitting here at the computer yeah. and I start going through, I literally, or when you lay down at bed. Yeah. That's the worst is when you go to lay down, you've had that long, hard day. It's two in the morning. You're like, oh, I got to wake up in four hours. And then you just start play, replaying the set you just did at the open mic in your oh, head. Yeah. And now you start rewriting and you either, what do you do? You just let it go or you have to start uh, scribbling in a notebook or I usually go to my phone for that situation. You know, the, you ever heard the, the Mitch Hedberg joke about that is like, I have to either wake up at night and find a pen and paper or wake up at night and convince myself. It's not that funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Essentially that's what it is. And, but we, yeah, if you think about, there's definitely times where I've written something down at night and I go five minutes before the open mic, go to revisit and go, Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> nope, 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 nope. If everyone laughed in my head, yeah, when they're not gonna laugh here. So, but yeah, that's yeah, you know, that's that's not bad that you have that that tasking and stuff. So. Yeah, no, I'll stick with it for a little while. They give me benefits and stuff too. So yeah, yeah. Well, we're all I can doing whatever we can to try and make this happen. <laughs> it's the like entertainment is the only business where you have to literally work another job. Yeah, before you can even start. Like if I, if somebody tomorrow wants to go, oh, I want to be an ing- I want to be an architect. Eh, Grants are schooling to that, but even if you go through the schooling, you're now an architect. You get a job. You start applying for jobs as architects, and yeah. you're an architect. Yeah. You know, if you if somebody wants to be a waiter, it's like, you know, my dream passion is to be a waiter. You literally get hired as a waiter, and that's how you become it. I don't know who that person is, but <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're an actor. That's who that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's good having you in here, sir. Yeah, absolutely.